Rick Emerson, Sarah X. Dillon, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the universe, Rashid Bristol, Timmy Ryan, Lisa Desjardins, Jim Roop, Bob Costantini. Can you see my nipples? I regret nothing. In your face. I barely knew her. Don't miss Emerson, listener party 11, the Rick Roast. Hot as falls. Best show ever. We spent it on wars. Good evening and thank you for tuning in to CBS Nightly News with your favorite news box 3000. In the news tonight, Tim Red State America straight to hell. Don't death with a news box. All humans are vermin in the eyes of Morvo. Like my shiny metal ass. Brian the Peaky Gross. Suck on that. Let's get rich in gear. Can you sweeten my mic a little, Sarah? Here's Tim Riley. I really am retarded. This call isn't going as well as you thought it would. Let's give you a minute to consider whether you want to go forward with this topic. Does anyone else smell that? That really wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. Suck it. From the Ministry of Truth, here's Tim Riley. Keep your hands off your meat. Suck on that. Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the universe. Here's your top five. We really do need to take a break. I'm sorry, but that sucks. The length of this call is inversely proportionate to my interest in it. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Program. Welcome to Day 12. We are live from the plushly appointed but not overly ostentatious studios of AM970. Solid State Radio. It is the Rick Emerson Channel Cave of Whimsy. It's 503-733-2970. For your comments, questions, pitches, your two cents, your whatnot, what have you, and the hey hey. It's what I do. Timmy Ryan, you puss. Separate the stuff from the stuff. Ryan is a glorious bastard. Dump dunt, dump dunt, dump dunt, dump dunt, dump dunt. I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. I'm wanted, wanted, dead, dead or alive. Sons of bitches. It will all be better when Richie gets here. That skank. How is it possible that Courtney Love looks worse than Kurt Cobain? You are fat and have no charisma. Watch your back, Danny Aiello. Keep like me. Don't tell me what to do. From Los Angeles, it's Jim Roop. From Capitol Hill, it's Lisa Desardin. From New York City, it's Bob. Costin. Teeny. Cheryl. All right. Why, hello. It is 
is, uh, now I'll do it all again in a human voice. Hi, it's nine minutes and uh, 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of April. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming by making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, lovingly assembled and delivered by robots here in the United States. It is 503-733-2970. Uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, if you would like to uh, join us today with your comments, your questions, your well, everything the robot just said. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, it is Friday. And welcome to Day 12. Guess what we're going to be giving away? Holding it right here in my hands. It's very exciting. Who wants to guess first? Hint, please. Uh, well, I hope it's another really fabulous trip to the Wynn Casino that we can never, <laughs> ever have for ourselves. Sarah, we, we are paid in um, something. Not really money as Nickel. such. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be giving away, I swear to you, this is real. We're going to be, not just, not just the regular version, we're going to be giving away the director's cut of Gumby the Movie. Yeah! Right there, bitches. Right there. Gumby the movie. Uh, so anyway, this is going to be a win. Live action? <laughs> We're going to be... I, that's a good question, actually. I don't really know whether it is. It might be the stop motion. great idea. What do you mean live action, like with a person in a Gumby suit? Or do you right. mean... Like a Gumby mascot. <laughs> the... And two people playing Pokey. One the front, one the back. Michael... I don't want We're going to be giving away a DVD of two people playing Pokey. <laughs> Here's a video of two people playing pokey. One on the front and one on the back. Yeah. What, you going to IMDb? Pokey Sass. What? No. The person played a pokey posterity. I think you need to put your headphones on for one thing, because yeah. you're sort of drifting back yeah, and forth from the mic. You. Okay. How about I heard... What was the last thing you just said about searching on IMDb? You will find the person who played Pokey's Posteria. Oh, Pokey's ass. Okay. Yeah. I thought you said something else that had the word... I only heard certain syllables in the phrase, Pokey's ass. And then I heard the word played in there somewhere. All right. No, no. <laughs> in any event... Well, there you go. So we're going to be giving away... Probably not today. Uh, it'll probably begin Monday. We're going to be giving away uh, the DVD of Gumby the Movie. And it does come with a little bendable Gumby thing. Uh, so uh, that's a win it before you can buy it, by the way. Uh! That's right. Back up. In any event, it's 503-733-2970. It's yes, KUFO will be giving away Pokey the movie. Uh, only at night, though. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, if you would like to be part of today's program, Richie Bristol is standing by. Uh, looking good, by the way. I think Richie's he almost... He does look really good. He's back to normal. I would say that his face is approaching some sort of a baseline. It's uh, 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. Uh, you can uh, pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. My whole thing about this Gumby movie now, though, is so I wonder if it's if it's actual stop-motion animation, like where the guy moves it for like half a, you know, a frame and then they photograph it and then he moves it again, or if it's some sort of a CGI, if it's some sort of new world Gumby. All right. Well, I'll have to take a look. But I hope it's not like Gilbert Gottfried as Gumby. <laughs> that would be bad. Did Gilbert Gottfried uh, do something to you at some point in the past? Let me guess. Wait, hold on. I haven't thought about him hold. until this week. I'm channeling the universe, Miss Cleo style. 
I am sensing he beat you up for a movie role. Did, uh, is no. there a movie role for which you were up that Gilbert Gottfried obtained? No. All right. Are you sure about that? Which one is Miss Cleo? You seem to. She's the one who's in jail, I think. Wouldn't she the I'm one who had. Pretty sure she's in jail. Wouldn't she. She was a large woman who had a kind of a Caribbean accent. And she would say. And she would end all of her projections with, Honey Child. Or, you know, or let whatever. Let Miss Cleo tell you your future. <laughs> let Miss Cleo tell you about that cheating man. Honey Child. Uh, and then I think I think her and her whole uh, crew all, all got sent up for something or other. I think it ended up being a scam. I mean, like more than more than psychics are a tip. I mean, m more scam than one typically expects with psychics. Miss Cleo is a cultural reference that is about two years wide. So there is about two years where if you were watching television, you'll get the Miss Cleo reference. But if you were out of the country, if you were if you were in a coma or something for those two years, you won't get any of the Miss Cleo jokes. That's a very uh, those are cultural references which are specific to a certain point in time. Not unlike the uh, two girls one cup thing, that had an even shorter uh, burn, I would think. So oh, the FTC charged Miss Cleo with deceptive advertising. It's amazing she didn't see it coming. Ha ha ha. Uh, oh, this is from 2002. This is a long time ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think she was on the air for about 18 months. She was there just long enough for the boondocks to make fun of her. All right, it's 503-733-2970. It is Friday. Thank you for coming along. Uh, if you'd like to join us today, that shows tremendous taste on your part. Here's how you can do it. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop will be joining us today. Uh, Steve Kastamom joining us on the final day that we talk about the Pope. After this, we're never going to discuss the Pope again. Uh, this will be the, the final bit of uh, pontiff and papal coverage. Seriously, the Pope is so boring. There's really nothing else that I can find to say about the Pope, but I find Steve talking about it to be kind of funny. It really is just an excuse to get Steve c to come on and bitch about stuff in that sort of great New York delivery that he has. Uh, in any event, we'll do the, the Bill Mayer thing is funny. The what? Bill Mayer. Mayer? Uh, uh, what are you talking about? On uh, the HBO when he called him a Nazi. Did he call the Pope? Well, he was he was in the Hitler Youth, was he not? Yes. No, okay. But now he has to apologize for saying it. But, you know, but well, he's not a Nazi now. No. It's fair. To, it, let me ask you this. In your journalistic opinion, is it accurate to say the Pope was a Nazi? Yes. He was a member of the Hitler Youth. Well, I'm not sure if a young person of his age could have joined the party itself. There was sort of a... It was, so you couldn't... It's like how you couldn't quite be a wee below. You sort of had to start as like in the Firefly group or whatever the hell that is. So you, it was sort of like Nazis with training wheels. Yes. It was not. It was Lil Nazis. Lil Nazis. L-I-L apostrophe. And then it'd be like Hitler with the big head with the little tiny body. And they'd get into some sort of misadventure in a treehouse. Mm -hmm. Lil Nazis. And I'm moving on. Uh, Aaron Geek in the city. Duran will join us later on today. Uh, big news today, though. Um, we are going to be joined today uh, by Chris Trompolis, uh and Eric Zela, who are the two of the guys that made the Raiders of the Lost Ark shot-for-shot -shot adaptation. Great piece about it by our friend Mike that Russell that was in the Oregonian. Uh, that is uh, yesterday's Oregonian. So we pick up yesterday's Oregonian, or there's a link to it at rickemerson.com. Oh, this is so awesome. You can so read excited. all about this shot-for-shot -shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the saga of this remake, I'm not going to sit and do the whole thing now, because we're going to have him in the studio later on today. And it's showing today and tomorrow at the Hollywood. It, it is really my very favorite kind of story. Uh, because it's the. I, I love stories about sort of cultural artifacts that are lost, end up on a shelf somewhere or in a box in the back of your basement. You, you forget all about it. And then they get uncovered later on. 
So we're going to talk about it later on. But the movie's showing tonight at the Hollywood and tomorrow at the Hollywood. They'll be in the studio today. Don't forget, uh, next week, Roger Klein, Charlie Murphy, and uh, Jonathan Colton. Uh, we'll all be joining us here uh, on the program. Uh, what else coming up? Oh, so in, in so because of that, so Aaron Duran's going to be in the studio. Because of the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation thing, Aaron Duran will be counting on the top five John Williams movie scores. Today, top five John Williams movie scores. And if you don't know who John Williams is, you really do know who John Williams is. You might just not know his name. John Williams has done... Right now, if you come up with an iconic action movie score, especially from the 80s, if you come up with an iconic Steven Spielberg score, John Williams did all of them. So, you know, I was watching Nixon last night on TV. John Williams did that. He's done everything. Um, so that's all coming up. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh, uh, we'll have a little bit of an announcement about the listener party. Well, I'll just say this. So, if you go to 970.am, you can also see this uh, via rickemerson.com. We were getting all of this uh, this artwork submitted for the listener party. And, I mean, it really is just fantastic. I, and I'm not just saying that in the whole, like, we have the best audience in the history. We really do. It's it, You go down to, um, I think it's the third blog post on my site. It says the artwork is arriving. You click there, you go to the gallery, and just look at this artwork that is submitted. And, I mean... It's all really good. Some of it works better than you know the other pieces. I think just like in terms of the tone and the theme, but it's all really incredible. So we are going to take submissions up through the end of today's program. We're going to take submissions for our work up until the end of the show, and then next week uh, we're going to put up a uh, you know what do you call it like a poll that we're going to let you vote on it. So next week the audience will get to vote on the submissions. And we'll let the, we'll let the, because that's not going to be on me. I'm not going to be the guy having to pick the best one of those out of like all, however many of them that are all brilliant. Uh, so next week, starting Monday morning, you'll get to vote on what the uh, listener party logo ought to be. Uh, so you'll be uh, looking for that on Monday. But you got until the end of the day to, uh, to submit your logos. Uh, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. That unusual animal found by a Milwaukee teenager has been reunited with its Gresham owner. It was a Patagonia cavey, and its name is Spock. Winter will return this weekend, and we can expect some hailstorms. An earthquake hits the Midwest, felt all the way, this is a giant one, felt all the way from Chicago to Tennessee. David Hasselhoff must pay his ex-wife $25,000 a month alimony. Bill Maher will apologize for calling the Pope a Nazi on TV tonight. America Today, a book will help children understand their mom's plastic surgery. It's entitled My Beautiful Mommy. And uh, that's it for now. All right. <laughs> you just can't you can't see what happened. Even so, Tim reads the headlines and then just very certain finality jabs the microphone off and then just goes back to reading the newspaper. We give a hundred and ten percent here at the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> well, I was I was reading about that the motion picture at the Hollywood Theater. Oh, is there a thing in the A and E about it? Yes, there is. Oh, those kids are really great, man. Mm -hmm. And I keep calling them kids because that's how they look in the article. I mean, I think they're I don't know mid thirties to early forties something, but it's yes. it's uh, and I guess they're making they have optioned a biopic about the kids, so they're going to make a movie about their whole quest to film this. Anyway, it's it's genius. Um, joined today as always by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm actually I'm looking at the side by side uh, pictures of the of their adaptation. Yeah. Of That's crazy. And you know they, they, they found. I mean, I'm not just didn't give it all away, but I mean, you go to see this movie, which I haven't seen by the way. I haven't seen it. I've seen stills. But I mean, you know, like in the original, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's that whole sequence on a submarine. They apparently found a submarine somewhere. They found a submarine 
and talked yeah. their way onto the submarine uh, to film that sequence. You know, there's that whole sequence where there's the, you know, the, it, it, where they're on the sub and then the, you know, I think it's the Nazis or whatever come to board it and it's blah 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 blah. But I guess they at some they at some point found a submarine that they were able to film part of this on. So. Anyway, so we'll talk uh, uh, to those guys later on today. This email says, Rick, every once in a while I'll step back when I'm listening to the show to imagine what it would sound like to the people I try to get to listen. There's the horrifying clown watch theme. There's the serial killer watch theme. And then there was the opening of today's show. I tried to put myself in the position of a person flipping around the dial looking for something new and interesting to listen to, then arriving at the random AM station that's playing a robot voice sifting through what is ostensibly completely nonsensical phrases. Anyway, well, it's what we do. Uh, all right, I've also got a terrible Are you going to go see it play. tonight? Um, it depends. I don't know. Either tonight or tomorrow, because it starts at... When is it show? I think it's at 7.30. Wait, hold on. Tonight at, tonight at 7 o'clock. See, that's the thing. is, I want to see it tonight, but Laura works till 7.30. So I'm going to basically have to get her to sign off of me seeing it without her. Uh, and well, we could also see it tomorrow. It's good. We could go see it again tomorrow. I could take her to see it. So I'm going to have to get her to sign off on me going to the movie without her. So, which will be, I'm sure that'll be a will lot of fun. Will that be allowed? I don't know. Well, we'll find out, won't we, Tim? So, I'm going to see either tonight or tomorrow. I know Richie's going tonight, but I know that she's kind of into seeing it, too. And so, it's just a question of, of whether uh, she minds if I kind of go, you know, to, the, to tonight's sort of opening. I'm sure she wouldn't mind if you wanted to go do something that you wanted to. Now keep putting that positive vibe out there, Sarah. We'll see what happens. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? What time is it? 11.25. Did you do anything exciting? There's no Lost last night, though, right? No, no. Lost doesn't start for another couple weeks. Uh, I went and saw the uh, Timbers opening game. The Timbers opener. Uh-huh. Man, just drank a lot of beer. I don't feel so hot today. <laughs> Would you like to tell everybody what you did this morning? I'll tell them. Sarah ate an entire box of corn dogs uh, before the program today. And I came in and she goes, well, I was afraid I would be hungry during the show, so I just ate the whole box. Now I'm full of corn dog. I am so full of corn dogs. The mornings, like the little morning star corn dogs. And they seem so small and harmless. They do seem small. And oh, so I have 50. So I ate half of them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So, And then like the other ones are just sitting there taunting me. And I'm like, why? I, I can't just leave them there. I'm going to be so hungry. I'm so tiny and luscious, Sarah. I'm going to eat the entire thing. I ate the entire box. I am so <laughs> full. I think I've finally like squashed any craving I'll ever have for corn dogs ever again, though. I did that once. Uh, I'm not going to say when. Uh, but I did that once a long time ago. Um, when I, they're like ruffles or somebody had put out some, they put out some new kind of like dip, you know, like a, like a chip dip kind of a thing. And it was some exciting new flavor of dip that I thought looked really good. And and it was one of those late night things where I'd gone to the store to buy like razor blades or whatever. Like I'd gone to buy some, something, you know, like a, I don't know, deodorant or something. And so I'm walking through the aisle and it's one of those end of aisle impulse displays. And it's like, look at this new ruffles dip. That's like cheese, onion, chive, yogurt, squash flavor, or whatever. It just seemed really good. This was and like a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? No. Oh. Yes. And so I bought it, and I went home, and I just, and it, at home we had somehow like a, like leftover from some thing. We had a huge bo- a bag of chips. So I thought, well, I'll just eat a little bit of this while I'm watching a West Wing, you know, rerun, and we'll see how it tastes. And just, you know, and then you look down, and you realize you've eaten basically the entire thing. But the good news is, you don't ever want to eat it again. Like, I'm done. Yeah. That day maxed me out. That's it. That's it. Like, I've, I've had a slight addiction to Morningstar corn dogs. Never again. It's like when I you're... cannot do not. I can't even think about them right now. It's like when your you Jack catches you smoking and he makes you smoke a whole carton of cools in the closet. So. All right. Uh, let's see. What but else? the Timbers game was really good. They won. And it was Timber Jim's last game. And it was Thursday, Thursday, and Timber Jim's last Man. game. Yeah, and then, like, the beers are only $2. <laughs> and they're usually, like, you know, 7 Uh-huh. 
So, you know, you're trying to cram in as many beers. So I think I had like, <laughs> I had like three beers in the first half, three in the second half, and then we decided to go to the Matador afterward to celebrate and just, yeah. I love, I love the idea that it's almost work to you, though. No, 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 i got to cram in as many of these. Well, yeah, what is it? Like, I'm over-consumer. It's like, well, I can't not drink the $2. The more beer. I drink, the more I save. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-huh. All right. There, it's so cheap, you can't afford not to drink. I know. But I'm super excited for the... There's so much going on this weekend. Um, there's uh, that tonight, and then tomorrow there's a roller derby. I'm going to go to that, and then Rilo Kiley's on uh, Saturday night as well. Excellent. You have a busy weekend ahead of it's you. It's going to be a fun one. All right. Do uh, you? No. No, I don't. No, I don't. Do you know? Do I? Yes. I have lots of things that happen. I'm going to go horseback riding. No, of course. No, I have nothing planned. I'm going to go see the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation. It, probably I will end up going tonight, and then if it's if it's good, if, it's, if I think it's a thing that Lara's going to be into, because she's sort of a casual geek, uh, we'll probably go tomorrow. But other than that, I have no plans. None. Zero. I have nothing. Uh, my plans are this, that tomorrow, uh, Lara has this uh, friend of hers who lives um, a couple hours away, uh, who... I don't know, they're having some children's birthday party or something. Anyway, Laura has some friend, and there's, like, having some, like, my my baby turns one. Everybody come and eat bad cake. Uh, so I am not going, but Laura's going, and that's a couple hours away. So I will, so it's, like, two hours there, you know, two hours to get there, two hours there, two hours back. So there's a good six-hour stretch on Saturday where I know I'm going to be absolutely alone. So uh, for my birthday, she got me two things. She got me the Nixon double-disc uh, DVD set, and she got me the 11-hour the Beatles anthology documentary. Uh, which I don't know if you've ever seen, but it's mind-blowing. It is an 11-hour documentary of the Beatles on DVD. That sounds awesome. Uh, and so um, I've seen it before, but not for a few years. So I'm going to I'm gonna crack that open, I think, on Saturday and just sit on the couch and watch that. Uh, yeah, it's 11 hours uh, long, and it's this massive documentary the BBC did about them. So she got me the whole... 11-hour Beatle documentary, and I'm going to sit and I'm going to uh, I'm going to bust that open on Friday and, or on Saturday and watch a lot of that because that's not a thing that she's Janice, she wouldn't really be into that. So, but I start to just totally binge on that. Um, all right, what else are we doing here? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How What's you up? Doing? Hey. Um, just getting back to the Pope. You know, I had uh, I had read something on that a while back. Um, yeah, he got like conscripted into the Hitler Youth. There wasn't like there was any choice, and I believe he deserted a few times. Um, he was kind of thrown into some anti-aircraft battery, and him and his brother both, um, you know, anytime they got a chance, they uh, fled. See, in, here in my head now, because it's Indiana Jones Day, every time we talk about anybody fleeing from Nazis at all, like I just picture a tiny, like a li- Lil Pope sort of on the run, but he's being chased by a panzer tank division. So the Indiana Jones theme. Yeah, dun, 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 <laughs> and he's got like the bad accent and the ruby slippers. That, that could be, yeah. You also have a, do you also have a Miss Cleo observation? Um, you know, I don't, but I, I had a quick question for you. You were in the Spokane radio market a while back, is that right? Uh, well, a long time ago. I was. Do you do you remember a DJ up there, uh, Barry Hawbaker, up in that area? No, I do not. Okay, good enough. Well, thanks a lot, Rick. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> do you know Bob from Kansas lives on that road near that fruit stand where that boy with that odd eye sells papayas? Uh, uh let's see. Um, I have a terrible song here. Well, if I'm not going to play it now, I, I probably shouldn't ever play it. Let's see if I... Can you, uh, am I potted up over there? Uh-huh. Let's see if I can... Oh, yeah. So I've got a terrible song here. Now, you know, we were talking about Cheryl Crow yesterday. You know, there's never enough discussion of Cheryl Crow. Can we talk about her all day today, I guess? Do, do we, and I think Richie put it on the recap today. So there was another 16-minute discussion of the Cheryl Crow oeuvre 
Um, ladies and gentlemen, I, I now give you one of the worst things that's ever been recorded. This is off a tribute album. Remember when those were all the rage? A tribute album that I came thinking about in 96. About, it was a Zeppelin tribute album called Encomium. And it was just a bunch of people doing bad, 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 bad covers of Zeppelin songs. People who should never sing Zeppelin songs like Henry Rollins, who, God love him, can't mm-hmm. sing. Um, but Cheryl Crow is, I think, the biggest star on this CD. She takes a song that is not all that great to begin with uh, and ruins it by sounding like Punky Brewster. Let's see if I can just play a little bit of this here. I managed to find this on the Internet because my copy is buried somewhere in my basement at home. I'm going to skip ahead because there's this part where she's... really awful. No, there's a part here where it, it sounds like she's a, a house cat in the process of being neutered. Who decided this was a good idea for her? By the way, I'm watching this on. It's a song that sort of grows tedious to begin with. I mean, pretty pretty quickly. So there you go. More show crow than you ever needed, ladies and gentlemen. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Here's what's coming up. Uh, we have CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, Top 5, Aaron Duran, and all that. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. playing it. Okay, can I stop? Anytime. Okay. Again, for the first time, podcast up each and every weekday afternoon. Just go to 970.am. Thank you, Portland. This is AM 970 Solid State Radio. <laughs> That's right. I'm Mr. Bucket. I'm Mr. Bucket. Toss your balls in my top. I'm Mr. Bucket. Out of my mouth, I will pop. I'm Mr. Bucket. Walk and run. I'm Mr. Bucket. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins. But look out, because the balls will pop out of his mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. The balls pop out of my mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. A ball is what I'm about. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all going to run. I'm Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket from Milton Bradley. Why, hello, it's the... Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along and joining us today. 503-733-2970. Uh, 503-733-2970. We did that, but we couldn't find a Miss Cleo commercial. The only one I can find doesn't have her mentioning her name. This appears to be... I'm looking on YouTube, and there appears to be some sort of Miss Cleo 
Like some, like a greatest hits from Miss Cleo. We couldn't find Miss Cleo, so we had to play Mr. Bucket. No. Let me see. Can you put this in queue for a second? Let's see if yeah. I, or on the air for a second. Let's see if we can. Right. This is amazing, me. So kids amazes me every time I do it, too. What you waiting for? And I have to be psychic to see you saving money straight away. Yeah, fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Do you know what I found? No. Let's see. Yep. Pardon me? Cleo. Cleo. It's a soundboard. It's a Miss Cleo soundboard. It's a Miss Cleo soundboard. I'll send it to you. Fantastic. We interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, thanks for that lead in there. <laughs> yeah, where did you play that, Rick? I don't know. I think I was going to play it instead of the Miss Cleo thing, and then you had the Mr. Bucket balls pop out of his mouth thing. <laughs> it's a children's game. Have you ever seen the Mr. Bucket game, Steve? No, no, I haven't. It is a, there is no Mr. Bucket game, Steve. <laughs> it is a, uh, there's, there is a, it's from Milton Bradley. I remember it from when I was little. It is a children's game, and there's a guy named Mr. Bucket, and you get, I swear to you, little, uh, you put balls into the top of his head, and at the end, they pop out of his mouth. I swear to you, it's true. Hmm. Listen one more time, Steve. Here we go. This is the ad. This is Mr. Bucket uh, being advertised to children. That's right. I'm Mr. Bucket. I'm Mr. Bucket. Toss your balls in my top. I'm Mr. Bucket. Oh, I'm a mouth and pop. I'm Mr. Bucket. Walk and run. I'm Mr. Bucket. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins. But look out, because the balls will pop out of his mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. The balls will pop out of my mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. A ball is what I'm about. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all going to run. I'm Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket from Milton Brown. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah. see, you know, never said that the Rick Emerson program doesn't put a smile on your face, sir. Yeah, boy, I needed that little bit of levity today, I'll tell you. I've been sitting in the booth watching uh, the Pope's events and then doing live hit after live hit, and now I'm watching a news conference with uh, that organization, SNAP, who are the survivors of, uh, of sexual abuse at the hands of clergy members. Here, here, they're talking now. Here's what my day's like. You know, with this global institution of corrupt officials who know about abuse and ignore it. This is some guy talking live right now. You know? I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm, and I'm certainly not trying to, to make light of it or to, to diminish the church's, re well, I am trying to diminish the church's response because it's really bupkis, but I, I'm not trying to certainly diminish what anybody went through. But in, in a way, it's just, it, it feels like this whole thing is, we we are as a country as a world we're sort of being forced to listen in on some big encounter group session, um, whereas because church, church doesn't really seem like they're doing much in the way of tangible, concrete, finite changes. I mean they paid out when they were forced to by a court of law, um, but the church certainly hasn't said that they're going to. I mean, if, and I think Tom Likas was making this point yesterday or the day before. You know, in any other field, if you go to your shrink or if you go to a cop or if you're talking to a doctor and you say, hey, by the way, I like to molest children, uh, you know, the next thing you know, you've got bracelets and you're in a small cell. Uh, whereas the church doesn't really still seem to, they don't seem interested in abiding uh, by any of that. So what, you you know, everybody sort of put through is this awful uh, thing of it, all of these poor people who are sort of abused by clergy members sitting there and talking to the church under what I believe to be the misguided supposition that the church is somehow going to respond to them or act differently, which the evidence doesn't really indicate. But it must be especially, I mean, it's got to be an especially tedious and or depressing task for you to just sit there and monitor it for like nine hours doing live hits all day. Yeah, yeah, it does get depressing after a while. And then, uh, uh, you know, and they, they keep talking about uh, cardinal law and, and these uh, folks who are essentially, you know, given what 
can be construed as protection by the Vatican. You know, the Vatican says that we, we, we removed them from society, essentially, and took them out of their roles. But uh, in the eyes of these victims, they have been given sanctuary uh, at the Vatican. You know, you know, nobody's had to answer to any sort of uh, criminal charges, even though uh, I'm not sure that the statute of limit, limitations would allow uh, a lot of these folks to, be, to face criminal charges. But still, you know, for them, it's, it's got to be really difficult to, to know that these folks are living a rather pretty comfortable uh, life there at the Vatican now. Was it, were you the one that was saying that they're going to start doing some screening program to presumably keep uh, pedophiles out of, the, uh, out of the priesthood? Yeah, he was talking about that on the airplane, oh, the airplane ride over. They didn't get specific, but they were going to do a better job of uh, making sure, uh, you know, Individuals like this don't wind up in the seminaries. But I mean, what does that even entail? Do you suppose? I mean, because unless you've unless you've been convicted of something, doesn't really seem like there's any way to screen for it. And again, because the church doesn't even necessarily seem inclined to do anything uh, to people who indicate uh, that they have done this or are thinking about doing it. So it just it does. I mean, I hate to be so relentlessly cynical about it, but the Catholic Church doesn't really have like a strong track record in this sort of thing. Yeah, are you Catholic or? or uh, I am a I am a fallen Catholic. Uh, you know, it's really funny, in talking to everybody about this, the fallen Catholics or the lapsed Catholics seem to be the most critical of the church. Wow. When I, when I, all day for the last couple of days, actually, I've been talking to folks about it, and the most, uh, the most skeptical people are the ones who are, as you call them, the, the lapsed Catholics. Yeah, well, myself and Tim Riley, our news director, and Sarah, all of us, uh, were Catholic, raised Catholic. Tim and I went to Catholic school. I don't think I always forget this. You didn't, though, did you? I did. Did you? Yeah. So the three of us, so the, all three of us went to Catholic school. And I don't want to, you know, just sit there and make this my big therapy session for everybody. But I think that the, one of the problems, just speaking as a former Catholic, one of the problems that Catholics have is that the Catholic religion, I think even more so than most faiths, is really rooted in, uh, blind obedience to an authority figure who then threatens you with unimaginable punishment if you deviate from his word at any point. Uh, and the entire Catholic Church is like this upended, it's an inverted pyramid, and it all rests upon the supposedly infallible moral guidance of this one guy, of the Holy See at the top, and then of all of his representatives throughout the world, such as priests, such as, you know, whoever. Um, so that... Coupled with the fact, you know, that Catholics, my family especially, and I know Sarah's family do this, are forking over 10% of everything they earn uh, every single uh, year to the Catholic Church. And that certainly is, I think, seeds for skepticism and bitterness. Mm. So, in any event, sorry, well, anyway, I you know. Well, anyway, that's okay. It's, 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 a, it's a, you know, uh, a valid opinion, obviously. I, well, I don't need to validate your opinion, but, I mean, it's, it's a very prevalent opinion. And, uh, and, and then today... The Pope get, uh, got up in front of the United Nations, the, the world leaders, and, and said things like this. The promotion of human rights remains the most effective strategy for eliminating inequalities between countries and social groups and for increasing security. So he's talking about, you know, preserving and promoting human rights and, and human dignity and protecting, uh, in, protecting people who are at risk. So it's, it's kind of a... An interesting message, you know, when juxtaposed by what, what you just said. You know? and, and I will also know, by the way, uh, and this is something people have touched on in the last few days, that if you are a member of the Catholic faith, part of Catholic uh, dogma and doctrine is that the Pope is uh, infallible. And, of course, you know, the only religion to say that, that a lot of faiths believe the same thing, but that, that Catholics believe, the Catholic Church teaches that the Pope is the divine instrument uh, of God, that he is the direct conduit from God, and when the Pope opens his mouth and speaks, that that is 
the very nearly literal word of God, and he is conveying the commandments of God. So uh-huh. if you are a member of this church, really, if you're going to follow this in any sort of linear progression, if you're a member of the Catholic Church, what you then have to believe is that when the Pope offered de facto sanctuary to child molesters and when the Pope offered to take them into hiding or to stash them elsewhere around the world or for facilitate their ongoing abuse of children, if that was the decision of the Pope, one must then, if you believe the Catholic faith and you believe the Pope is infallible, you must then believe that God wanted to facilitate the ongoing abuse of children and the protection of people who were doing it. So it does become at some point uh, what mathematics, uh, I believe, would term an untenable proposition. Where you either got to swallow all of it, or you got to reject everything, because the Pope is a, presumably speaking for the Almighty. So it it becomes a little challenging, I think, once you pass the age of reason. That would just be my assessment. Untenable proposition. I have to write that one down. I'm going to pull that one out someday again. You can That's uh, a good one. Use that whenever you like, my friend. Untenable proposition. Right. And then, uh, and then today I was reading an article in uh, uh, in this, uh, you know, in between my live hits. Uh, you know, I check out the New York Times website because I'm waiting to go live. And I'm reading an article in the New York Times Magazine about uh, Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, mm-hmm. however you prefer to pronounce it, and the Kabbalah Center in L.A. and Madonna. And the, the author asks her why um, she didn't turn to Catholicism, turn back to Catholicism. And she said, all they ever did was give me rules and told me things that I couldn't do. They didn't give me rules by which to live life through, but, but rules that I wasn't supposed to violate. Yep. Is what, yeah. Uh, let's see. Is this the last? Uh, and I'm not blaming you for this. Please, understand. is this the last day we have to talk about the Pope? When is he leaving? He's uh, well, he's here um, through Sunday. He's got a huge mass at Yankee Stadium. Fifty-eight thousand people will be there um, tomorrow. He's uh, going to be the first Pope to officiate over uh, a service at St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York. And all those in attendance, almost all of those in attendance, will be uh, clergy, uh, priests, monsignors, bishops, cardinals. And uh, there's a possibility he'll he'll talk about the the sex scandal, or the, the sex abuse scandal again, since that's the audience he'll be talking mm. to, you know. All right. Well, this is the last day that I have to talk about it. I think so. We don't have to recap it on Monday if you don't want to. On no. Monday, I'll be, on Monday I'll be. Um, hey, you know what I'll be doing? I'll be driving to Pennsylvania See? during your show, so You'll I can be... do another another from the road. <laughs> Having live. another on the road with Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, as you, how what is the car? How how long is the drive? I don't know where I'm going yet because um, Obama and Clinton have not made public their plans yet for Tuesday night. So we're in a bit of a dilemma. It's like Friday. You know, we want to book travel plans, and they still don't know where they're going to be for the election night uh, headquarters. And, uh, yeah, I think it would be fun to do another from-the-road thing. I could stop off. We could pick a town on a map ahead of time in Pennsylvania that you want me to stop in, and I could just do a live report. Can I get some kookily soothing travel log music to play underneath you? Sure. So you're driving along to the... As you kind of go through Lick Skillet, Pennsylvania, or wherever... If I'm lucky, I'll be in Amish country. We could do some stuff from there. Uh, you know, it's I, a conversation for another day, but I do find the Amish, I think, like a lot of people, sort of strangely fascinating. So we'll have to, at some point, we'll have to discuss it. Um, all right, well, uh, have a great weekend. And if we do not talk to you Monday, travel safe. But I'm sure we will at some point, my friend. <laughs> yes, okay. All right, have a good weekend. See you guys. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. This guy says, uh, Rick, is it just me, or does uh, the Pope sound kind of like Tote from Raiders of the Lost? Yes, I know you will. Oh, he sounds like a character. He doesn't sound like a real person. He doesn't sound like a real person, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not pretending to see him to the heart of the Pope, but he looks evil. He's evil and scary looking. There's no getting around scary it. Scary looking and scary sounding. Scary looking, scary sounding. Where's uh, creepy ruby slippers? I'm just saying. 
Well, you know, but every time, see, okay, here's the thing, and then we'll talk to Jim Roop here in just a second. But so we have these guys, the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation guys, uh, uh, coming in later. What time are they coming in? Uh, two o'clock, I think. Okay. So let me just say, I've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark probably. I don't know. I mean, many, 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 many times. I mean, like, like, like all dorks. I've just, I've seen it a billion times. But it's interesting that. When I think about this Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation, the only image that comes to mind is Indy running away from the giant boulder in the beginning, and me wondering how they did that. But, you know, when they mentioned that they had to actually find a submarine at some point to be mimicking the submarine scene, then I just start thinking about all of the other weird crap that happens in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and how do they possibly do it? Like, I'm thinking at the end where Toad's face melts. How is it, you know? I am really curious to see how they did this. Well, it took 10 years, 11 years? years? Wait, hold on, let's see. A shot-for-shot remake, starting in 1997, seven years. Uh, they were, I believe, 11 years old when it started, something like that. They were 10 and 11 years old. took them seven years to do it, so you get to see them, like, age and go all the way through adolescence. That's uh, commitment. Good I for mean, them. I mean, it really is pretty. It's a little crazy, but, I mean, in a way that's, in the way that's really great. So I'm curious to see how they do the head exploding and the, uh, you know... You know, you don't look at the light, Marion, and all that at the end. Mm. It's funny. It's interesting. There's no mention of who plays Marion. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how they sort of tackle that being young men. I couple and there were women. Really? Yeah. Well, because there's uh, because there's Marion, and then there's... Seems like I'm forgetting somebody else. She might really be the only female character in that movie. Am I missing somebody else from Raiders of the Lost Ark? In the stills, I noticed there were two females that they used. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show uh, from Los Angeles. Let us now have speaks with our good friend, James Roof. Hello, sir. Howdy, sir. How you doing, brother man? Hello. How's life? Life's good, thank you. Is life good? On a scale of 1 to 10, how good would you say life is today? Uh, 6. Really? Only a six? How could things be better? In what way... I'd be off if I wasn't working. It'd be a lot better. I Well, you know, it's, uh, how long are you on the clock for today? Oh, Lord knows. These people <laughs> don't understand how the West Coast works. <laughs> and by... I'm, I'm, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, yet they still want me live at 4 p.m. Well, That's because... ridiculous. This, it, it, the, odd, the, odd, <laughs> the odd thing about CNN, and don't get me wrong, we love CNN and our affiliation with CNN, but they do have a kind of fluid notion of how uh, time works and when news happens. Mm-hmm. Because there'll be some things where, as you notice, they've got you working like 21 hours. When that last day you were in San Francisco, you were on the clock for 21 hours? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't even seem... I mean, I know that you're a newsman, and so you'll power through and you do what needs to be done, but that doesn't even seem real. Well, it, some things don't need to be. I mean, if, if, if I, I don't want to get into it, but some things don't need to be. Some Someone could say, uh, the afternoon guy, when he comes in, it's like everybody else starts at the same time he does. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> you know, at some point, someone should say, uh, let me look and see when Roof started filing this morning. <laughs> oh, hell. He's been on the clock since 4 a.m. Maybe we won't make him sit in traffic on a Friday night. <laughs> Maybe we'll let him off around 1 o'clock. Give him an eight-hour day for once. How beautiful would that be for him? You're a good person for putting the company's needs ahead of your own, though. I'm a company man. Uh-huh. As am I. Um, and there's other stories, though. See, not obviously like we're kvetching about CNN, but there's other stories of, let's say, oh, I don't know, a massive debate watched by 10 million people between two of the folks who might be, you know, the, one of them is going to be the candidate for the Democratic Party. Uh, for president of the free world. Uh, and we call CNN. Anybody talking about that? No. No, but we got this guy talking about a frog jumping contest. Are you interested in that? 
So it is. They well, it, you know, I got to say something about the debates, though. I mean, it, it, they're getting ridiculous. I mean, if you watched any of that last one, it's all about how can you don't wear a, a flag lapel pin. Come on, you running out of questions? Can I tell you that I actually completely forgot to watch the debate, and I almost now wish I had because there's been so much discussion about how ABC just just uh, muffed it. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, everything I've read is that it was sort of embarrassing for everybody involved, especially because they had one of Hillary Clinton's former employees doing the moderating. So that was a little strange. I mean, I mean, really, can you imagine if that had been... Can you imagine if George Bush had been at a debate and one of the moderators had been a former employee of his? I mean, we would have screamed bloody murder about that. But the idea that George Stephanopoulos was somehow going to be sitting five feet away and questioning his old boss was a little... I mean, even to me, that rattled a little weird. Yeah. So, well, what could yeah, yeah, he was fired... Uh... Wait a minute, he left still when Clinton was in office, didn't he? He left. He got demoted, and then he left. He was the press secretary, and then they right. booted him out of press secretary to, like, some other crap job. Uh, and then he left, and now he's on Good Morning, or he's on some, you he's know, on one some of the... Sunday show. Sunday, one of the talking head shows. He wrote a pretty good book, actually. Stephanopoulos wrote a, a book called All Too Human, which kind of came out of the height of the Monica Lewinsky thing. And that's a, it's a pretty interesting book. He, uh, I know that it earned him no points with James Carville because Carville thought he was a traitor for writing it. But it's a, it's a pretty interesting read. It's just I almost wish I watched the debate, though, just because so, apparently it was such a cluster. But I guess it's oh, pre- I, I turned it off. Really? It, yeah, it was ridiculous. I said, I'm not covering this. What the hell am I watching? <laughs> that's the spirit. Well done. So I put Juno in the machine to watch that again. How great is Juno? <laughs> I love it, man. Juno, we just played a we played a uh, we do this thing where we start every day's program with a movie clip or a speech or a scene from a movie and uh, two days ago we did juno and it was it was that scene where she's talking to her dad and her parents are so great in that movie because they're presented as being very nuanced like real people and that's a great scene that ends with the dad going juno i'm going with you i just don't want you to get taken by a couple of baby crazed wing nuts (laughs) that baby crazed wing nuts is one of the best that and when she goes to the whatever the clinic or whatever, and the girl's trying to push the flavored condoms on her, goes, they make my boyfriend's junk smell like pie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's fantastic. I'm glad you love the movie Juno. Yeah, Juno. there are great lines in that movie. Plus, it's just well acted. It's well done. It's well written. There's nothing wrong with that film. No, no, no. Juno's a great film. It's got a fantastic soundtrack too. Yeah, it really does. Excellent. I'm glad. See, Juno on that as a nation, we can all agree. I'm telling you. All right. You got in best picture. I, uh, I, I now as soon as I open my mouth now to talk about this because we've been talking about things of a whimsical nature, it just seems so uh, such a bad shift of tone here. But I, this is just one of those things that is either not true or is true, and if it is true, just seems so weird and ludicrous as to be almost unbelievable. I'll just read this on the page. It says an audit of child daycare and foster care facilities oh, yeah. finds that many of them match the addresses of registered sex offenders. Yep. So is that a thing where the mountain goes to Muhammad or has Muhammad gone to the mountain? Are these do the sex offender guys move right next to the daycare or do well, they No, no, no. Move? These are these are homes that are licensed to be daycare centers or foster homes and in them lives uh, somebody's son who or a husband or uncle who uh, is a registered sex offender. And the problem is some 50,000 sex offenders in California aren't monitored because they they finished parole. Oh, I see. And so, you know, they decided to take the database of the uh, licensed facilities and match it with the database of the sex offenders, and they found that at 46 of these places, 49 registered sex offenders live. And they've only shut down nine so far. It just seems like, this is like a while back on the show, we had this whole sex offender map thing. You could, you could type in your address, and then it shows your neighborhood, and it shows you how many sex offenders live in, you know, whatever. 
And it's like one of those, how do I put this? Do you ever see that like on CSI or Basic Instinct where they go into a room and they shine that special blue flashlight around and suddenly you see like all the blood or whatever bodily fluids are in the yeah. room? Yeah. It's, putting the sex offender map on my house was like that, where I would <laughs> type in my address and then suddenly the neighborhood just goes red because I'm surrounded by rapists and pedophiles. Uh, it's very sad. It is. It's weird. And it's just, you know, it's just one and, of those... and that lawmakers are ticked off because, you know, they, they blame the the State Department of Justice and the social services for not talking to each other. They need to be cross-checking databases. You know, plus they're ticked off at the, at the licensee. The, the half of the responsibility has to be on the facility itself. They're supposed to notify, you know, but they're not going to. Hey, yeah, my brother. Yeah, sure. <laughs> do that. Ugh, all right. You know, it is, anyway. this is an entire world of cracks into which people slip constantly. So. I'm telling you. All right. Uh, big plans for your weekend? Uh, drinking heavily. Sir. Excellent. What's your drink of choice this weekend, or just whatever's around? You know, I I don't know. I I have gotten back into to vodka tonics lately. Excellent. Good for you. Sarah Dillon nods approvingly. Ah, thank you. All right. Uh, have a great After weekend. I was drinking the night Charlton Heston died and had to flub out a bunch of. <laughs> I did. You, I don't think we ever managed to find those. I wanted to see if you sounded drunk, but you know, you probably pulled it off. You're a pro. I so. <laughs> look at dude. I haven't you, been fired. So if you can sound lucid after 21 hours straight, you can sound lucid after some <laughs> vodka. You know what I mean? It's the same effect. Yeah. All right, brother. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, sir. James Roop in Los Angeles. You know what I was like when we can start a call with him where he sounds sort of beaten down by the end of the call. He sounds good. I like to put a smile on his face. Hi, Tim Riley. Do you have news for us? Yes, I do. Exciting. I totally agree with Jim Roop, though. I really don't think CNN does understand the West Coast. No. Like don't. how it works. We never have anybody available to no. us. Like they're making him work at 4 a.m. <laughs> no, what that's the hell? The, that's the thing is they won't. Yeah, they. And I'm not trying to complain. I am complaining about CNN, but they don't. Uh, they, they, some, they don't. Like they'll have people available, just never for the times that we need them. They will often have these big stories, but because business ends on the East Coast at like 2 p.m., they assume it just ends everywhere. Unless it is a story in which the East Coast is interested, like let's say the San Francisco Olympic torch thing, in which case they'll just, as he said, they'll just have Jim work 21 hours, and no one, he starts filing the story at 4 a.m. in the morning. They don't really notice that he's still filing stories 21 hours later. Like at 1 a.m., he's still filing stories, and no one says, wait a minute, that's ever so slightly suspect. Jesus. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth after this. Uh, Aaron Duran later on. Top five John Williams scores. And we'll talk to the kids behind the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Rick. I still feel sick, and that was like two hours ago. Wow. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I'm like falling apart. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A policeman saves a pet worker remains tackled to death by a snake. Happened in Eugene. Police recalled to the pet store around 3.30 yesterday on a report that a 12-foot Burmese python had launched, latched onto the woman and wrapped itself around her. Fire and rescue crews found her on the ground and said the snake was about to wrap itself around her neck, pulling her in. And she was in grave danger as it coiled tighter and tighter by the moment. Wait, so where was she when this happened? At a pet store. 
pet store where? Eugene. What kind of snake? It was a Burmese python. Did she get near the cage, or was she just walking around and it fell out of the ceiling on her? Apparently she worked there. Oh, Maybe well. she was giving it a sponge bath or something. Spun the snakes are not your friends. Uh, Police Sergeant Ryan Nelson was about to use his knife to get the snake free, but the victims pleaded for the snake's life. Nelson and another firefighter were able to pry the snake's mouth open and then coil it after a struggle freeing the woman. But after Nelson got the snake into its cage, the huge reptile escaped again and tried to attack the policeman. He grabbed the snake behind the head and was able to wrestle it into a bigger cage. The python also tried to get in one last jab, but ran into the glass while trying to lunge at the officer. The snake lost two of its teeth in the ordeal. Nobody suffered any serious injuries. Have they put the snake down, or is the snake still with us, do you No, suppose? the snake is still with us. I'm going to need two more teeth. I'm rooting for the snake. Do they have snake tooth implants? I don't know. I thought snakes only had, uh, what's it, fangs or whatever. Not this one. I don't really know anything about pythons. These are Eugene snakes. Aren't pythons just the, uh, uh, those are the ones that squeeze you, right? They don't need teeth for anything. Aren't they just the crushy kind? Yeah, but they have teeth anyway. I suppose. You know, you know what else has teeth? You know, chickens have teeth. <laughs> the little scaly things, if you want to call those teeth. No, those are feathers. Are they attached to the beak? No, they had. Don't chickens have uh, Don't chickens have teeth when they're born? You're the one who just no, made no, this no. huge proclamation that chickens had teeth. Chickens have teeth, but no lungs. The chickens have. I think the chickens are born with teeth, but then the teeth fall out. I think that's how they get out of the. Uh, and then the chicken tooth fairy arrives. I think isn't that how they? I think that's how they get out of the shell. I think they have teeth so you let them peck through the shell. No, they have a beak. That they peck through the shell. But doesn't the beak have a like a thing on it, like a tooth on it? I don't think so. Beak's a beak. Does the beak have a tooth on it? Beak's a beak. That kind of sounds like some weird alternate version of the, the Little Caesars thing. All right, here's Tim Riley. Don't call about chickens and teeth. Well, that very strange critter that won the hearts of Milwaukee, found on a busy street, is heading home to Gresham where it belongs. Nico Phillips and his girlfriend found the Patagonian cavey in the middle of the road in Milwaukee and decided they want to keep the animal. Veterinarians, cavey lovers, others called offering advice. Well, somebody saw the cavey on TV, and now it's going home. Its name is Spock. It's a vegetarian. It can be cute and cuddly and run like the wind and take six-foot leaps. But apparently it escaped from its Gresham home. So uh, it's the uh, cavey of Gresham. I think, I think I have neighbors who escaped from their Gresham home. It's a great little animal. It's uh, kind of independent. Uh, speaking of animals, people better stop dropping off animals at the Humane Society because they have a camera out there, and they caught somebody. Now, this won't be hard to find. A red Cadillac stopping by and dropping off two animals, and then the Cadillac pulled away and left. So they have it. They dropped off a kitty cat and a small dog, a terrier mix name Little Dog. What a cute dog. Who would drop off something like say, that? Oh, that's the... I'm sorry, I just did that. <laughs> I knew you'd do that. <laughs> well, we'll see. And now I am one of those... Now? So somebody in a red Cadillac dropped off... Of course, it's not... You know, it happens there all the time. Okay, now I am one of those people that sees the dog. I am one of those people in the story that you always read about. They've been flooded with calls from people offering to adopt the dog. Now I want to adopt the dog. Go adopt the dog. You know, if you dump off an animal, there's a penalty of $2,000 and up to six months in jail. And also you're going to go to hell and be tormented for all eternity. So let's find this. How cool, great is that The dog? cool woman in the red catalog. Oh. That, that, that dog is fantastic. <laughs> go adopt that dog. There's, I, a, there's yeah, a kitty cat there, so too. He's so cute. 
Well, uh, he's already probably already taken. Kevin looks like oh, he's totally done. Yeah, he's he's taken, and he has like six holds on him. You know that. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to call and ask and he have my heart so broken. He scruffy. Oh, uh, that dog really needs that dog really needs. That dog needs a hug. All it needs is love and a big and a and a and a big bowl of uh, something tasty. Mm-hmm. I Abandoning that... a pet next to a very busy street. No, but I mean, well, seriously, how hard is it just to wait for the goddamn humane society to be open? Right? I mean, what is it? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound disproportionately so angry about this. No, I just I don't, don't blame you. But I, well, I just don't understand. It's not like the Humane Society is going to yell at you for dropping the dog off. Mm-hmm. How dare you drop it? That's what they're there for, right? Right. You, dog, you got an animal you can't take care of. You take it to the Humane Society, and they, they, they find a, a home for it or whatever. They do whatever with it. But you just dump it there in the middle of the night next to a road where it's going to run off. busy street. Seriously, where it's going to get run down by something. So I guess I don't understand the logic of... Like, what, can you not just wait, like, four hours until they open and then go take it in? So, so if you see a red Cadillac around, write down the license plate, because chances are that is the vehicle they dropped this right. off. They mm-hmm. caught it on camera. So a dog and a cat. Who won? And, and they couldn't see the license plate? That's I guess not. Right. No. All but right. it shouldn't be too hard to find. So there you go. Yeah, I'm not even going to call about the dog, because they're going to say that it was taken, like, nine hours ago, and then I'm... Well, you know what? Maybe everyone's thinking that. Maybe about it. Maybe everyone's thinking that. Maybe yeah, I can't... No, that would be wrong. I... <laughs> That would be that would be wrong. It would be wrong of me to subject Max to having another dog suddenly to give him a, a new brother suddenly thrust onto him. He's not going to be happy about that. Max is, Max seems pretty territorial. He doesn't play well with others. All right. Oh, the, the dog, a small terrier mix, nicknamed Little Doggy. You know what he looks like here? A little so, doggy. No, no, no. He that, but he also looks like Fry's dog. Uh, if you if if you're fans of uh, Futurama, he looks like Fry's dog. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So last Friday's brawl at the upscale Bridgeport Village Shopping Center involving at least five juveniles of both sexes and two adults. Drew a crowd of over 100 people watching. After reviewing surveillance video and identifying as many people as they could, police arrested five juveniles ranging in age from 12 to 15 for various charges of assault and disorderly conduct. One of the 14-year-olds from Tigard is also charged with unlawful use of a weapon. The two adults who arrived to help their son after the security guards said, don't do anything, ignore the kids, have also been charged with fourth-degree assault and disorderly conduct in part of the incident. So I don't understand that at all. No. So, I don't know. Watch yourself if you go to the Bridgeport Village. And... I thought that was where civilized people shopped, Tim. I shopped there. You suppose that there's people who've escaped from their Gresham homes? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, one of these kids is from Tigard. Uh, so, who knows? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Is this me? Yes, you thought that was oh. funny, didn't you? Yeah, it's lovely. I, I got I got a Python story. Okay. Okay. <laughs> worked at, worked at a record store in the mall several years ago, and uh, it was uh, three doors down from a pet sh- from a pet shop. Uh, one day, my friend Jeff is uh, thumbing through old display material and stuff. It was the same year that uh, Alice Cooper's Constrictor album came out. Yes. And uh, he sees this uh, giant giant rubber snake that. Uh, yeah, thinking that thinking it was a giant rubber snake from uh, some Alice Cooper display material, he's about to he's about to put it in his mouth like the Alice Cooper album when the thing moves. If you were, where were you working at a pet store? No, we worked at we worked at a record store. Oh, that I was see. In the, that was oh. in the same mall as a ah, pet store. I see. And so you thought, okay, I was just going to say because he would just assume it was real. All right, so record store thought it was fake. That was Ozzy Osbourne's excuse for biting the head off that bat for the longest time too. That he thought it was a rubber bat of some yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah. So he was about to Ozzy the thing and put it in his mouth, and the thing, the thing moved. It was huge. It was about five feet long. It. We come to find out from the people at the pet store that it had escaped 
when it was, you know, about the size of a garden. Center. Fantastic. There's that great story that Alice Cooper tells about. He was staying in a hotel one time, and I think he was staying at the Hyatt House in Los Angeles. His, one of his snakes escaped, goes down the toilet, and I guess that's a, that's a frequent way that snakes, I guess, get out of hotel rooms. Oh, yeah. Houses. They go to the toilet. And he came up in the bathroom of Charlie Pride. So... <laughs> Charlie Pride, and as Alice Cooper, as Alice Cooper put it, he probably turned white. Uh, uh, Charlie Pride is in there getting ready to uh, uh, use the facilities. And imagine you're sitting down on the toilet, and a massive snake comes out of the toilet, like five feet long. That'll keep you away from the bathroom for a while. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. That's your ever. Thank you. That's Doug. But he's gay. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see one more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Is it me? Is there a ticking clock in the background? Oh. Hello, sir. Yes, hi, you're on the... Yes, you're on the radio right now speaking to thousands. Oh, great. Anyway, Rick, <laughs> chickens don't have teeth. What? Chickens do not have teeth. Hence the phrase, rarer than hen's teeth. Now, I was to understand that when chicks were first born, they had a small tooth-like object at the end of their beak that was there simply to peck out of the shell that then fell uh, away. Yeah, that's called an egg tooth, but it is not a tooth in the real sense. It's just a little pip on their beak. It's a pip. It's, but it's called an egg tooth? Yeah. Well, so I think we can say we're all right today, sir. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sounds strangely resentful about the whole thing. Thank you. Here's Tim Riley. Well, you know, winter is coming back, and uh, people growing crops, especially in the gorge, are bringing out giant propane heaters and huge, massive frost fans. They're going to try to keep cherries warm. At sake are 300 tons of cherries, apples and pears, worth $110 million to growers in five counties. It really was cold this morning. I do have to say that. Well, if it goes below the critical temperature, say 27 to 28 they could see a 10% loss. Now, if the temperature gets as low as 21 to 24 degrees, there'll be severe damage, even total loss. And I think it was supposed to rain again today. I don't know if it has yet, but they were, they were making some noise about how it was going to be raining and then it was going to be plunging again temperature-wise. Well, I just walked outside without a coat to get a burrito up the street, and it wasn't raining yet. Really? Was it okay? It was uh, fine. So it was a burrito. Uh, this email says, here's what doesn't make any sense. You know, the Humane Society doesn't turn away animals. They also don't charge you. Uh, they will accept a donation, but they don't. Uh, but they'll take any animal you bring them. If you must get rid of your pets, grow a pair and accept your inability to maintain a pet and follow the rules. Well spoken, sir. Duly noted. Here's Tim Riley. A Beaverton man says police had the right house but the wrong guy when they roasted him out of his sleep during a raid. They say they had a valid search warrant for the home and were looking for three suspected meth dealers. The only problem is the meth dealers are in the way, and the man they put in handcuffs was a car dealer, not a drug dealer. Uh, police had guns in his face when he came out of his bedroom in his boxer shorts and T-shirt. They used a battering ram to break down the front door of the house. They hit the door so hard, it made lights in the home suddenly come on. So, uh, yeah, not a drug dealer, a car dealer. Oh, good news from Baghdad today. That Kuwait contractor has finished the construction of that brand-new humongous U.S. embassy. It costs $474 million. It is the largest in the world. It has 619 apartments, restaurants, indoor and outdoor basketball courts, volleyball court, an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Uh, so it was uh, built by the Kuwaitis. They hired 23 U.S. subcontractors, and the project was completed nearly two years beyond schedule. And this is in Kuwait? 
Yeah, it's for in what the, purpose? No, no, it's not in Kuwait. It's in Baghdad. Oh. In the green zone. Okay, oh, not in Kuwait. I don't know why I thought we were talking about Kuwait. It has hidden tunnels and bunkers. Who wouldn't want to live like that? Landmines. <laughs> 75,000 tons of concrete. You know. 28,000 pounds of steel. By staggering coincidence, this is exactly the home I'm going to build for myself in Malala someday when I'm independently wealthy. It's great for <laughs> the Americans' last stand. <laughs> really, just acres and acres of landmines and automatic weapons pointed at everybody if they get within 300 yards. Of me. So I guess the model homes are open this weekend. Jesus. 619 apartments. Yeah, it's good to see the Bluths are making a go of it once again. Mm-hmm. Jesus God almighty. An American embassy, for what possible reason? I mean, really, so we can sit there, and, so we can observe the flourishing government firsthand for decades to come? Well, we can invite them all in to sit around and read newspapers and see how great America is. Yes. All right. So wouldn't you like such a thing? Sure. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. It's just... Here's the thing. I'm sorry. Whoever this is, we'll get back to you in a second. The thing is, I can't emotionally invest too much in stories like this because it just makes me so unbelievably furious, especially given that story we had last week that said that the Iraqis are generating $60 billion in oil every year, which exceeds by a full $10 billion the amount we have spent so much on the reconstruction uh, of a nation that is part of a neighborhood that is clearly never going to get any better. I, I don't mean, know. Our gas prices are getting better. They're up to three fifty nine a gallon. What more can we ask for? It, I mean, it's like it's like building a brand new casino on top of a sinkhole. Do you know what I mean? It's, no, no, no. What's this? Well, it's a tar pit. Well, what should we build on top of it? I don't know. How about a giant? Uh, how about how about a giant church of some kind? He's building some huge structure on a thing that cannot possibly support it, both politically and economically. So I. I just have to not dwell on it too much because it just uh, it irritates me. Higher on the, you know, I'd much rather have a five hundred million dollar embassy built in Baghdad than have the potholes in front of my house taken care of. Higher on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello, Rick Timmons, mailman Brian. What's up? Hey, Brian. Hey, hey there. Howdy, howdy. You know, we've got actual bridges in Portland that are falling apart and that you can't drive a truck over lest you plummet to your doom. There's the falling pedestrian bridge. So the idea that somehow we don't have money to fix a bridge here, which is apparently in danger of just imploding and falling into the river below because we're spending $474 million to build an embassy in a place that clearly is just going to end up being one big mushroom cloud at some point in the future anyway. Hi, how can I help you? Hi, how you doing? I felt like I was uh, uh, listening to firing line there. But, I'm just uh, anyway. saying. No, no worries. No, and I, and I drive the subway bridge almost every day, so I, yeah, I wonder about that every time I go across. And I debate whether to have my well, windows open or closed, seatbelt on or off. So make the most of what could be your last call then. Thank you. <laughs> Potentially. Okay, a little comment about the uh, the dog and the Humane Society. Yes, sir. Uh, ready with a sounder for me. Um, if that would happen to be a wiener dog, you could go to the Humane Society and get a long little doggy. Wow. I'm sorry. It's Friday. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. I don't think, and I don't even think I have my wah 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 sounder anymore. I think it's another one of the ones I lost. Darn it. Let's see. What What do I have? I have. There we go. We have that. Uh, let's see here. Um, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up? Hi. You know, you, you guys were talking this week about the Newsbot thing, which yes. is, is really cool. And that guy that came up with the sounder, that, that's excellent. I've come up with faces for, for the three of you as androids. Wait, let's back up for a second. We're talking about three different things. So uh, we had this great idea. I had this great idea. That everybody that everybody else is grudgingly pretending to like, um, that CBS News ought to, uh, the CBS Television News, 
when they inevitably fire Katie Couric, ought to replace her with a robot of some kind. And that would just do the news for a couple... I mean, even if it was just through Sweeps Week, which is coming up next month, uh, two weeks of a robot doing the news... See, even now it's funny. Of a robot doing the news instead of Katie Couric, during Sweeps, that would be the highest news that CBS television had had since Dan Rather, probably since Cronkite. Uh, and then Sarah noted that CBS doesn't really seem that forward-thinking of a company. And so I decided that we're just going to, you know what, that's a good idea and too good not to be used in some capacity or form. So we're just going to roll out a news bot here on AM 970, perhaps maybe in the uh, in the early, the early morning hours of, of the broadcast. Um, never, of course, in the afternoon at all or even in middays in no. any way. Because, of course, there are simply things that cannot be replaced, Tim Riley. Um but so I've been brainstorming this idea of trying to do some sort of news bot, which then led to that guy uh, sending us a whole bunch of sounders like yesterday, the Independence Day, uh, whatever speech is done by the news bot. So oh, was... speaking of that, you know, when he, when he does the dun, 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 dun thing. Yeah, I don't even know what the, what the... I think it, it's trying to make the music to that song. I'm a, I'm a cowboy. That comes on right after it. No, I don't think so. I uh, I don't think so. You're talking about the uh, you're talking about when the news bot goes da 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 da. Yeah, and then he says I'm a cowboy. Hold on, let's see if I can find it. What not? What have you done? Hey hey, it's what I do. Timmy Ryan, you us separate the stuff from the stuff. I think it's coming up here. Ryan is a glorious bastard. Dump 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 dump. I'm a cowboy on a steel horse I ride. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the two things are unrelated. Well, okay. That's okay, what is, what, is your, what is your point, sir? Okay, I wanted to morph you guys into androids for the show, in a sense. You know, since you got on the news bot thing. And uh, what, how do you mean? Well, I give a, I'd like to give a face to each one of you. Wait, so let me understand this. So you spent time creating artwork that would represent the faces of the three people on the show if we were in some alternate universe androids. No, 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 no. I didn't create any artwork, but I gave you guys a face uh, off of movies. I have no... For instance, now, 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 hear me out. You, I gave you Johnny Cab of, of uh, Total Recall. Okay. Tim, you're missing this conversation. No, I'm paying close attention. <laughs> Tim Riley would be, uh, you know... Uh, Tim Riley would be a man leaning back in his chair reading the newspaper while waiting for this call to be done. No, Riley would be uh, Max from Headroom. Oh, that too. Max <laughs> from Headroom? <laughs> Definitely. And, and Sarah would be uh, the Cherry 2000. All right. Thank you, sir. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I guess. All right, no, no, no. That's, <laughs> that's, bye now. That's the cherry 2000. I don't know. We're, we're yeah. done. Thank you, my friend. It's too much. Yeah, there's too much information in this call. Thank you. Bye. All right. I, I feel like we need defibrillators at this point now. Mm. Just, all right, here's Tim Riley. Well, this will mean something to somebody, not necessarily us in the studio, but the NBA has just approved the Seattle Sonics move to Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. So the, the Seattle Oklahoma losing? Sonics? So Seattle's losing the Sonics? Yeah. Boy, that's, that's not going to go over well. No, that's going to be a that's going to be a bad day up there. Yeah. All right. Well, do a bunch of Okies. I guess. I mean, really, that's what they want. Who who even knew they knew how to use chairs in Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there you go. Bye. So tonight on uh, Bill Maher's program, he will apologize for calling the Pope a Nazi. This is what he said last uh, on his last program. Which is why I'd like to tip off law enforcement to an even larger child abusing religious cult. Its leader also has a compound, and this guy not only operates outside the bounds of the law, but he used to be a Nazi, and he wears funny hats. That's right, the Pope is coming to America this week, and ladies, he's single. <laughs>
Now, I know what you're thinking. Bill, you can't be saying that the Catholic Church is no better than this creepy Texas Tulse. For one thing, altar boys can't even get pregnant. But really, what tripped up the little cult on the prairie was that they only abused hundreds of kids, not thousands all over the world. Cults get raided. Religions get parades. How does the Catholic Church get away with all of their buggery? Volume, volume, volume. So is this, so have we passed the point of everything, of what he has to apologize for? Yes. So did he say anything factually inaccurate? Who's making him apologize? Is it, is it HBO? Because uh, this, this is the real-time show that he does. Oh, Catholic League President Bill Donahue received a phone call <laughs> yeah. from an HBO executive regarding these comments. I am so angry beyond belief at Bill Maher and his heresy of... But, do you get the feeling that, that William Will the Donahue Catholic was... League accept Maher's apology? Assuming it comes across as genuine, the answer is yes. The great. I have a feeling that when Bill Maher... Uh, I'm sorry, when William Donahue was being wired together, it's like up in heaven, that they somehow... It's like he's sort of a fixed-gear bicycle, except the only gear he has is angry, and that's it. And just, uh, 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 and it's like he's channeling, he's like Archie Bunker uh, meets like Cardinal O'Connor somehow. You know what I mean? All sort of merged together to some weird, off-putting, white-hot, gray-haired old guy who's just going to be furious constantly. So I'm not really sure that Bill Maher said anything that was factually incorrect, though. The Pope did at one point, I believe, as a youth. He didn't say that he currently was. He said he didn't was. He didn't say he is a Nazi. He said he was a Nazi, which I, which I do believe is factually correct. Uh, that he was a he was a little Nazi growing up and does, in fact, wear funny hats and red shoes that look a lot like Dorothy's. Draw your own conclusions. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Well, Rick, you were talking about the weather there, and I can give you up-to-the-minute weather from the gorge right now. Are there huge fans on right now? They're not. Okay. They, uh, it's 42 degrees, and it's pouring down rain, and there's a chilly, chilly wind in the air. Hmm. Thank you, sir. There you have it. There you go. Thanks. All right, there you go. Never say that the Rick Emerson Show doesn't give people in Portland the information they need from moment to moment. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, Rick? Living the dream. All uh, right. Can you, can you please turn up your radio? There it is. Turn it up as loud as it'll go. Rick, stop being a dick. I'm not. I'm just saying. It's a little, you know, a little sarcasm. Hi, how can I help you, sir? Yes. Oh, just a quick question. Uh-huh. Um, Is this about androids? Have oh, you definitely. Have you perhaps made a like a, a kooky caricature showing what the three of us would look like if we were house pets? Uh, no, I have a life. I'm sorry. Okay. What is? Um, how can we help you, my friend? Just out of curiosity, when the Pope goes somewhere, how does he travel? He doesn't. Probably going commercial plane. No, they probably have like an Air Force One of the Vatican, I would imagine. I would, the Vatican, by the way, the Vatican is the single wealthiest and single most land-owning uh, corporation or business in all of human history. Uh, people don't really know that. People think that they're just a tiny little country that's like a square block, which is true. Uh, but the Vatican is actually the single most financially successful business in the history of the human race. Uh, and so I would imagine he has a fleet of airplanes. That would It would astonish me if he didn't. I was actually at the Vatican uh, last summer. I went to me and my wife went to Italy. And went yeah. to the Vatican. Uh, another thing, did you know that that movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, when it came out, that the uh, Pope would not allow the girl to come to the Vatican for the premiering because she was pregnant and he, sixteen? Yeah, the, the, the chick that played Mary, right? 
Yeah, she was she was actually pregnant. I think we have that story. Yeah, the girl who played Mary in The Passion of the Christ was knocked up, and so they wouldn't let her in because somebody had touched her lady parts. And so, yeah. therefore, she wasn't allowed to pass through the door. So, yes. Yeah, no, that is... Yes, the, the Catholic Church does seem to be uh, sex, bad, violence, wonderful. Especially if, it, especially if it goes on forever, and it has Mel Gibson half-nude and doing a bunch of weird homoerotic activity in the screen while being Jesus. So, all right. Or I guess he's not Jesus. I guess he's the guy who pounds the nails into Jesus, mm-hmm. so to speak. All right, thank you. Thank you. Have Bye. a good day. Thank you. All right, there you go. Yeah, because what's his name? Not John Canzano. I wanted to say John Canzano plays Jesus. Who is that guy that played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ? John Leguizamo? <laughs> John Leguizamo. <laughs> John Leguizamo is. Wait, hold on. Now, see, I can't do with John Leguizamo is Jesus joke, though. Oh, he has the same initials as Jesus, I remember. He does. Uh, John. It was like Caviezel. Laura Caviezel as Jesus. Now, John Canzano is that guy that writes for the Oregonian, I think. I remember hearing this stupid interview they did, and he's like, I feel like I bonded with Jesus because we have the same initials. I just regret that I can't do a John Leguizamo is Jesus joke because all Leguizamo's things are done in accents of his own because he's a very talented uh, linguist and mimic and so forth. All right, I got nothing. Well, whatever. Anyway, but I think if they do they do a close-up. Oh, Jim something. Jim. Jim Caviezel. I'm pulling the ripcord now. Okay, I don't care. Uh, but uh, but I think whenever you see the sequence of the hands pounding the nails into Jesus, I think those are Gibson's hands or something. I was right. Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. There yeah. you go. So, because I guess it's supposed to show Mel Gibson's, I don't know, his inner conflict and his torment. Did you ever see that? Artist in a what? No, no. no Every not. year no, one of those F-Pat. Jesus movies comes no, out. No, seriously. No, there's just There'll no be another one coming. No out. call. I mean, really, honestly, who? You know what I'd like, honey? You know what we should do tonight? Let's get some popcorn and a soda. Let's go watch a man be scourged and beaten senseless for two hours. Then let's go to Wendy's. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. This is Emma. Hello, Emma. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. And I just had a question for you. I heard you mention a defibrillator today. Yes. And I heard you actually mention it yesterday, too. But I'm wondering why they're on your mind. And it caught my attention because that's what I do. I sell defibrillators. <laughs> really? Now, to yes. whom do you sell them? Um, I don't work with hospitals. I work with businesses and schools. Where they just got like have it in the kitchen? Do we have a defibrillator here in the kitchen, Tim? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, but you should. Uh, I, we, I think they have one we over have the coin We have a body fluids. <laughs> that's we have a body <laughs> fluid disposal kit. Um, the uh, yeah, I think at the other, I think at the coin tower they have one. They'll like mount it up in the kitchen. I don't know. I think it's because it's a funny word. Um, and also, it's not necessarily, I mean, obviously having a heart attack is no joke, but the whole, uh, you know, with the guy on the table, clear, you know, that's funny. There's just no getting around it, especially when it's uh, Hawkeye Pierce saying, don't let the bastard win, you know, so so I don't know why. I find it, how much does one of those go for? Uh, they're really inexpensive now. They're about 1500 bucks or less, 1500 so, on the high end. All right, interesting. Now, do you? how do you demonstrate one of those, or do you have to? I mean, have they... I mean, very, very careful. You just plug it in and hope it, hope it works when the time comes. No, we have um, training models that don't actually deliver a live shock, and so you can demonstrate an AED like on a mannequin or even on somebody else. Let me ask you this: What if I had, let's say, some pastrami at home and I used a defibrillator on it? What would happen? It won't work, unfortunately. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't, no. doesn't zap. It doesn't cook. It doesn't do anything. No, they're really smart little machines, and they only shock if you're in a certain cardiac arrest. Is that true? The machine only shocks if it's, if you're having a yeah. heart attack? How does the, the, one, the ones for public access, like the ones that I sell to schools and businesses, okay, that's, that in, how does the, the machine know? Use can shock you without, you know, they can shock you at will. But how does the machine know that you're having a cardiac arrest? Uh, so 
software. So it, you put the pads on a person's chest, and then it monitors the heart and will detect um, a rhythm that needs a shock or doesn't need a shock, and it will advise you whether that person needs one or not, and then so, it will deliver the shock if they need it, and it won't deliver it if they don't. So this is really like it's like a defibrillator for dummies. I mean, the machine actually tells you whether you need it, how to do it. Is it actually still necessary these days to say clear and have everybody pull back? Yes, you, that, you definitely need to still do that because if somebody's touching the, the victim while the device is delivering the shock, they could potentially get a shock themselves. Interesting. It doesn't feel very good. You know, you never <laughs> the things in the in this world, and you don't really ever think that there's somebody who sells them. Here's the thing you need to think about: every single classroom, every single lecture hall, college room you ever went to in your life, you only have on the wall mounted there pencil sharpener, and not only a pencil sharpener, but the kind that has that little dial you turn to allow for different uh, diameters of pencil to be inserted in. A, somebody had to make that dial. B, somebody actually has to go to the school and pitch them on buying a specific brand and type of, of pencil sharpener. Whose sad-ass job is that? Where you're, like, opening up some sort of, like, a valise that you carry with you and go, uh, all right, we got the uh, Sharpometer 55, uh, we got the Point Master 6000. This here is the Grinds-A-Lot 72, our most popular model. All right. Uh, well, thank Emma. Emma, you are charming, and uh, you have a great voice, and you have an interesting job. So, thank you for calling us. No problem. Have All a great day. You as well. There you go, Emma. By the way, speaking of Emma, did you see that uh, Emma Watson, the girls who play the girl who plays uh, Hermione, turned eighteen? <laughs> no, because I'm not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, let's take a break. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I can't top that. We will continue next with more from Tim Riley. Don't go anywhere. Emerson Radio program. No, I'm so no, no, I no, 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 no. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Rick, I know by now not to say anything. No. I'm just saying I'm, I'm bummed. Just, I'm just saying I'm bummed. <laughs> I just, I, I know me, and I know it's going to deviate us down a whole path. So, yeah, I just uh, I just said that to you. You should have that. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. Well, did you hear what happened in Indiana? No, Tim. What happened in Indiana? Well, a truckload with human feces accidentally dumped its cargo along a 300-yard stretch of Indiana, blocking traffic and releasing the stifling smell of manure into the neighborhood. Five hours into the cleanup, township firefighters appeared thoroughly exhausted, and mostly, uh, oh, most were rinsed in the thick black clods of the waste. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? You and Faisley, I know. That, <laughs> that was a rhetorical, what are you talking about? Uh, the processed waste was on its way to another place. It stinks, but it's not dangerous. Uh, we tested it. How did they test to see if it wasn't dangerous? They're carrying around gallons of tested human feces. Billy, eat this. Uh, The driver was ticketed for failing to secure his load. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Your load's all over the road now. Lots of laughs, isn't it? <laughs> LOL. I, I, I demand that you clean your load up right now. People will be here any minute. Thick black clods of waste. Yes. <laughs> Guys, secure your load. <laughs> I was just going to do that. It sounds like a PSA. That does sound like one of those. Guys, this is Kelsey Grammer. Or you Remi will be fined $200. Reminding you that now more than ever, it is always important to secure your load. One to grow on. The more you know. Here's Tim Riley. Well, for Comedy Central's Colbert Report, the show's finally in Philadelphia this week contained the most political punch. <sighs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> what the hell was that? I was just mocking you. That <laughs> was really. What, what were you mocking? I, no, I, I heard this terrible sigh. Did I sigh? Yes. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't a sigh of boredom. Sigh when Tim Riley is speaking. It wasn't a sigh. It wasn't a sigh of boredom. <laughs> I was just exhausted from all the load securing jokes. I had to sort of, it was a sigh of exhaustion sure quite exhausting. all of the comedy that we just had, Tim. Well, John Edwards, John Edwards joked about the importance of white male voters. Their votes are being courted as a demographic tiebreaker between these two tough candidates, and no white male's vote is being courted more vigorously than this one. Uh, Hillary Clinton was playful on the program, helping to fix batting a ball of yarn on a large screen on stage and offering Colbert a few tips on his appearance. Stephen, your forehead is a little shiny. Makeup, makeup, powder, please. Wow, Senator Clinton, you're so prepared for any situation. I, uh, I don't know. I just don't know how to thank you enough. That's okay, Stephen. I just love solving problems. Barack Obama we, appeared, be sick. In the future, can we have some sort of 10-second warning when Hillary Clinton's going to try to be uh, funny or amusing you know, in any way? about her grandfather who worked in a factory in Scranton? My grandchurch and fired a gun <laughs> while drunk. <laughs> Don't forget that. Firing a gun while pounding down shots of Jim Beam. Uh, uh, Barack Obama appeared uh, via the satellite. Stephen, these distractions, they won't help fix our economy. They won't help... People get health care. They won't help us get out of Iraq. Stephen, I would go so far as to say I want to put these political distractions on notice. I don't think it well, I was waiting for him to be going on. Waiting for him to be funny there. I know. They must have given him the wrong script. That didn't really work. You know, that, that, but I, I stand by what I said the other day, which is I am not trying to make a molehill into a mountain. But I do read a lot into the fact that Barack Obama wouldn't go on the Colbert Report live. He wouldn't be there in the studio because, you know, you've got to be really on your mark to hold your own with that guy. Um, because the, you know, the, this is true. The, the Daily Show and Stephen Colbert, I mean, they're funny. It's a comedy show, but it's very pointed. Uh, and you can tell when, they, when they've when they decided that somebody needs to be taken down several hundred pegs. Uh, and you've got to be able to, uh, to really hold your ground and, and go in there with all of your wits about you. So the fact that Obama wouldn't go on there, that indicates to me that he's not quite as steady on his feet as people think he is. So that's it for that one. So there you go. Barack Obama! I regret that none of these Obama clips are getting the play that yes, I thought I they know. would. I really thought these were going to be... Typical the... white person? She is a typical white person. I'm doing my best to inject these into the culture, but it's just not working. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's Grant, longtime listener. Love Hello, the sir. show. Thank you, my friend. I uh, just caught you talking a little bit about uh, the Pope's visit. And you wanted to kind of know what the Pope's plane, his uh, papal air chariot, it's called Shepherd One. Is that the name of it? What kind of plane is it? Do you know? 
I, I don't know. I just was listening to CNN this morning, and I caught wind of that, and I just started laughing. I couldn't control myself. I'm like, Shepard one. Shepard one. Yeah. And you know, it's. I mean, it's got to be some unbelievably plush. Like, it has to be like an Air Force One kind of. Oh thing. yeah. I mean, except nothing less. Expect nothing less than only the finest for him. I mean, right. you couldn't cart him around in anything less than the best of the best. No, that's I suppose. True. Excellent, Shepard one. Thank you, sir. All right, you're welcome. Later. There you go. This guy says. Um, Rick, I haven't heard the Vatican was the biggest landowner, uh, but I know they have the largest collection of art in the world, uh, and allegedly, by the way, the largest collection of pornography in the world. That's what I hear. That's yeah. That's that's the thing you've heard forever that the Catholic Church has the stashed in the Vatican somewhere. Uh, I was going to say stashed in the bowels, but that seems inappropriate. The Vatican likes to stash things in the. But bowels. why do they have pornography at the Vatican? Um, so they don't have to go out to rent it. <laughs> I mean, they, because I mean, the line is blockbuster is like, so long. Like, are they hoarding it so other people can't have it, or is it... Uh, the damn Vatican always hoarding pornography? Leave some for the rest of us. Well, they do get first pick. The uh, Many things. I think, I mean, you hear varying sort of explanations as to why. One is that in... A different era, not different, not that different actually, but in a different era that the Vatican was sort of trying to buy up or to gather buy. They probably didn't buy. Give that to me and we'll let you live. The Vatican was trying to get all the world's pornography so that, you know, so nobody else could have any. I mean, that sounds dumb, but I think that was their thing at one point. It's like, we're going to get it all because humanity shouldn't have it. So we're going to, we won't destroy it. We'll just get it and keep it all in the basement. The other thing, the other story you hear is that the Vatican has some, you'll hear these stories, the Vatican has some music, like a secret not museum, but a like a, a, a complete archiving of sin in the basement somewhere, so they can like categorize and archive and list and enumerate all the various kinds of sin there are in the world, you know, so that they know what they're stamping out. And as part of that, they have a huge pornography collection. What Chuck Palahniuk book was it um, that talks about the guy who has the land and it has that huge like the mountains of pornography? Do you remember that? No, oh, I don't crap. think so. I cannot remember. But it, so I don't know if it's true or not. It's a story you always hear, but the Vatican does have. Uh, the largest collection of art in the world. Um, he says, how would they have the most land? I don't know if that's still true, but I know at one point it was. For instance, people don't really realize this, but at one point all the land where Disneyland now sits was owned by the Catholic Church. Uh, the Catholic Church owned huge tracts of land in Orange County for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and when, when Walt Disney uh, started to expand Disneyland, he had to buy all that land from the Catholic Church. And, of course, at that point the Catholic Church said, that would be $9 jillion. And he went, well, all right, and signed a check. So the Catholic Church may not be the largest landowner now. And land-owning is sort of an elastic term when you're talking about the Catholic Church, seeing as a lot of that ownership just comes like at the end of a gun. Oh. Here's Tim Riley. Well, the founder of a Christian school reportedly offered to waive a teenage girl's enrollment fee in exchange for sex with her mother, and it was all caught on tape. For the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? Whoa. I wasn't prepared for that. Ooh. What's Next. the name of that cut, please? That is Jordan TX1.wave. I, I understand this takes place in Texas? It does in the parking lot of La Quinta. <laughs> for the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times. In the parking lot of a La Quinta. So the parent gets into Jordan's white pickup truck in the La Quinta parking lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's a serious story. <laughs> According to the report, uh, Laverne Jordan asks, can we play around? If you're not in like just a great big hurry, I know of, uh, of a place not too far that we can go and I could just do that. We could just do some play around a little bit. Would you like that? You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the worst things I've ever heard. Come with me to La Quinta. 
Does anyone else get these stories? No. Where do you even no, find these? No, it works as hard as I do. I'm putting, putting this on the desktop right now so I can have this forever. Uh, let's see. Haste. I hope that vice president of CBS is listening right now because I do put a lot more work <laughs> into these newscasts than most other news people. These you know, people don't really people don't really appreciate. I might not have pretty legs like some anchor ladies do. Well, Tim, <laughs> now come on, don't demean yourself that way. Your legs are as pretty as anybody's, Tim. <laughs> All right. Um, to, how is it that she even? How is it that this even came to be taped? Yeah, I don't understand what's going on. And, you know, I think I lost that. How did they both end up in the same should, parking should lot? I, what parking lot was it? explain this again? Yeah. And I think I lost the same. So this is the founder of a Christian school offering to waive a teenage girl's enrollment fee in exchange with sex for her mother. It was caught on tape. This was an investigation by KTRK Television in Houston. And the teenager's mother, who said she wanted to expose Laverne Jordan... Uh, the video shows the unidentified parrot getting into Jordan's white pickup truck at La Quinta parking lot in Texas. Sexy. The woman's wearing a, a wire during the meeting and records Jordan suggesting they meet up several times if he waived the $300 fee for her daughter. In an attempt to distance uh, the institution from Jordan, school officials issued the following statement. Uh, he is no longer affiliated in any way with the Parkway Christian Please, School. don't ask us about this anymore. For the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? How to live playing wow. around. If you're not in like just a great big hurry, I know of, uh, of a place not too far that we can go and I can just do that. We could just do some play around a little bit. Oh. Like that. Wow. Oh. That guy, there's only so much you could do in the La Quinta parking lot. <laughs> do you have a picture of him, Tim? Yeah, please. I don't. Please. I, have oh. a, I picture him with glasses, overweight. His like... name is Laverne Jordan. This story is so Laverne unbe- Jordan. That's L-E-V-E-R-A-N. Jordan. <laughs> Laverne Jordan. So, for example, Sarah, I might say, do you want to go to La Quinta? This is the Parkway Christian School of Houston. It's in Texas. There you go. It was liberated from the Mexicans in 1848. Good heavens. So for $300, he expected several of these. Well, it's only in the parking lot. For the $300, <laughs> I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? So let me understand this. So the, the, the tuition to the school is three. I know we're spending a disproportionate amount of time here, but these are the sort of stories we live for. So the tuition to the school would be $300. This is the, the enrollment fee. It says but, it, but it, okay, the enrollment fee. But so he is willing to pay it himself to waive it right. if the mother pleasures him several times. Several times. At a nearby La Quinta. For $300. <laughs> at a nearby La Quinta. Really? At a so, nearby La Quinta. So I don't know if that's 30 times with $10 a piece or how it was going to work. And could he sound more desperate? Well, if we don't do anything right now, yeah. you're right down the street. <laughs> Play around a bit. Uh, I understand the DQ is a good place. <laughs> okay. What's the La Quinta? It's, isn't that like a uh, Howard Johnson's or something? Yeah, one of those things. For the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? Uh, if you're not in like just a great big hurry, <laughs> I know of, uh, of a place not too far that we could go and I could just do that. We could just do some play around a little bit. But if you, like if you are in a great big hurry, I'm just going to put up the, the big cardboard sunglasses thing in the window and uh, we can just go to work right here. All right. There's Tim Riley. Feels so dirty. It's Casey of the Portland. That's what we're here for. Uh-huh. Well, let's talk about this uh, big earthquake in the Midwest. People are concerned. Uh, this was felt, so this is a huge one. This was felt all the way from Chicago to Tennessee. And also some places in between like Michigan, Missouri, Wisconsin. Uh, senior science advisor for the U.S. Geological Survey says the land of this region is tailor-made for this type of an earthquake. 
Part of it has to do with um, uh, the uh, the age of the, the Earth's crust in this area. Um, it's uh, it's not as uh, broken up as it is out in the western U.S. Uh, it's uh, older and colder crust. It really, uh, when you have an earthquake, it, it rings like a bell. It's a light flaky crust. This is why I like the crust in this part of the country. That story we had a couple of days ago, where you told me there was some guy. Odds are 98 percent that big earthquake will strike California sometime in next 90 years. You can tell it's a dull news day when they start doing that. <laughs> Digging it. What can we say? Uh, looks like it'll rain sometime in the next year. All right. Uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to add in before you stop talking. About, uh, down here in Lake Oswego, there's a truck driving around. It has the top bumper sticker says, uh, I love my German Shepherd. And then added in the bottom of that says, uh, Pope Benedict XVI. Excellent. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you, sir. Hang on, hang on. One yes. more thing. Oh, yes, and? Something else they have at the Vatican? Yes. The longest list of all the plants that can get you high. Is that true? Oh, yeah. And so where did you, is this like a thing, I'm sorry, I'm reading another thing here where somebody's giving me the long, somebody says, this is a claim from an emailer here, an emailer says, did you know the Vatican has the largest collection of sex toys in the world? <laughs> Don't you think at this point that they could just say the Vatican has the largest collection of like insert whatever? I thought they had a, a bottle of poverty. Those things oh, are kind that. of expensive, aren't they? I suppose. I don't um, think you should say the Vatican's largest collection of insert whatever. <laughs> well, they that as well, Sarah. Uh -huh. uh, let's see. Best show ever, uh, La Quinta Inns. Let's see, this person said, let's see if the mom is worth $300. Well, that's a good question. Is there, forget what we're talking about, Texas. Forget, she's Texas hot. Uh, forget uh, what, what the guy looks like. I wonder what the mom would look like. I don't know. I'm really, multiple times for $300 is really, uh, I mean, that didn't really speak well of anybody involved in this story. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, my name is Adam. How's it going? Hello. Uh, I had a quick comment about the Pope's airplane. The way I understand it is the Vatican doesn't actually own any airplanes. Whatever plane the Pope is riding upon is the uh, is known as Shepherd One. But I, well, that's like there's multiple Air Force Ones, I think. But but don't you suppose they have their own fleet at the Vatican? The Vatican yeah. they seem very controlling about these things. Well, I, I well, just what I read is that they they don't actually own any airplanes. And that might make sense since. Their city is about one square meter in size. So, That's and it only contains 800 people, uh, so they probably have uh, have room to store the planes. I don't know where you'd keep them. But I just heard whatever plane Pope is riding on is automatically then known as Shepherd One. That is a good point. Commuting time in Vatican City has got to be a real breeze. Yeah. All yeah. right. Thank you. You're welcome. This guy says, uh, Rick, the uh, second clip of that Laverne Jordan principal guy is the creepiest because he's addressing the woman like she's four years old. Like the way he ends it with some play around a little bit. Would you like that? Sounds exactly like how you'd negotiate with a toddler. That is all kinds of gross. It's beef of vendetta gross. It, tell me your sins. Yeah. The, uh, this is a game I've never played. Uh, oh, I just grossed myself out. I'm sorry. If you're not in like just a great big hurry, I know of, uh, of a place not too far that we could go and I could just do that. We could just do some play around a little bit. Right, Would so you like that? Do you have the story? I'm going to try to find a picture of one of the people involved. For the three hundred dollars, I would expect maybe we could get together several times. You think? Uh, well, I haven't printed it out yet. All right. What is the? Can you do you have? Can you spell the name? The name of the fellow? Yeah. Laverne. Is that with an E on the end? No, it's L-E, capital V, E-R-N. Jordan? Jordan, common spelling. Lee Byrne. You know, there's nothing in Google News about this.
Well, that's because I'm first with all these stories. Damn it, Tim. You've beaten everybody to the punch once again. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll try to find a horrifying photograph to go with us at some point in the future. Here's Tim Riley. Meanwhile, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus says, Ugh. It's really funny when Millie can pull a, or she mildly now, can pull a joke on him backstage. She's always been really quick, and, and I've always found it extremely funny if I am the butt of her jokes. I mean, it's just always been that funny thing. I'd like for you to pull a joke on me backstage. For the okay? $300, I would expect maybe we'd get together several times, you think? <laughs> okay. That's a lot better than what I was going to say, and less crude, too. All right. Fantastic. I was kind of borderline on that, but I decided to <laughs> no, go with from it. That's a callback to a separate story altogether. Mm -hmm. We're not implying anything. No. Well, it looks like uh, President Bush has a new poodle from Great Britain. He's uh, Prime Minister Gordon Brown, who says the president should be congratulated for his war on terror. I want to appreciate the sacrifice of the British troops, their families, and the British people. During the recent fighting in the Basra province, our nation's coordinated our support for the Iraqi security forces as they took on extremists and criminals. All glory to the hypnotoad. Yes. Uh, it appears that the 80s are back again. Among the acts from that decade that have recently announced comebacks are George Michael, even the Knight Rider is coming back, and uh, this fellow from, uh, what program is this, Entertainment Weekly says, it's time for all the 80s people to come back. You do need to sort of engender some goodwill and... Oftentimes that means going away for a while if you don't have something new to provide necessarily. There's certain artists, of course, who are always out there and who are always providing something new. There's others who, for whatever reason, tend to get stuck in their own legend. And they shouldn't. It is. Okay, now, did we miss High Concept Thursday? We did, didn't we? I thought it was held yesterday. No, but I don't think we actually did it. Yesterday was High Concept Thursday, but I don't think we actually ever did the High Concept segment. Oh. Uh, you know what we can do? All right. Here, I'm going to make a note to myself. I'm going to make a little high, because apparently the 80s are back, Tim. They are. Uh, so, well, who else? Okay, so who else from the 80s is reuniting now? Let's just do a quick list. This is not the High Concept topic. The Prince. Uh, so Prince, back. Rick Astley, back, baby. Uh, New Kids on the Block, back. Mm -hmm. Knight Rider, back. Uh, New Kids on the Block weren't 80s, they were 90s. Well, I guess no popsicle came out in 89. Such a tool. They bridged the decades, Sarah, and the generations. They sure did. Uh, is there anybody, musically speaking, is there anybody else from the 80s that has returned recently? I mean, Madonna. Cindy Lauper. Well, there's like Rock of Love, like all those like reality shows and everything. That's too. true. Brett Michael, a little bit of a resurgence. Brett Michaels, they had a big tour. Poison had a, before all the raping happened. Um, they, uh, they. What? What happened? <laughs> Ricky Rocket from Poison, the drummer from Poison. You know, he's like he's. I don't think he's been held, but I think he's been detained or charged or something with the uh, you know the raping. Um, I forget exactly. It, it, I think he got picked up like in a Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo hotel room or something a couple weeks ago. We had it right at the end of one of the programs. I don't know if he's been officially charged, but I think the cops snagged him at the airport because a woman had claimed, and again, it simply is an allegation at this point. I think a woman had claimed that he had uh, he had uh, assaulted her in some fashion. So Poison had the big uh, the big thing. Cindy Lauper didn't really ever go away. She didn't really, and Cindy Lauper, despite the fact that she only really had the one big album and a couple follow up singles. She wasn't, I mean, she was a much bigger artist, I think, than some of these people. I mean, she's much bigger than Rick Astley, for example. So, all right. Well, in any event, we'll do a high-concept thing about this. I've already got it figured out in my head. I've already got it figured out in my head, today's high-concept topic. We'll do it here in just a while. This, however, is Tim Riley. So we have uh, two more Katie Couric stories here. Just do them <laughs> while you can, Jeff. Yes. The rating slide that began when she started 19 months ago is getting worse. Uh, she is down 10%. From when she began, all three network newscasts are down. 
but as the Advertising Trade Magazine Media Life reported yesterday, the ABC and NBC declines represent the natural attrition of nightly newscasts. Sounds Katie different, I wonder. Uh, previous lame ducks have been gearing up for a ceremonial departure like Tom Brokaw, whose ratings went up when he said he was leaving. Uh, they think that Katie Couric's lame duck status is going to harm her. How much, how much more is that possible? <laughs> Uh, the latest example is uh, CBS's difficulty in getting Barack Obama to agree to Couric's hosting a debate before the North Carolina primary in early May. Her ability to twist arms, for instance, to sit down, would be greater if the Osama camp knows she was going to be around for five years. So, since she's not going to be around, nobody will agree to it. All right, Tip, who does the evening news for ABC? Isn't it that guy that was in the, uh, the Benji movies? See, I don't know either. I have no idea. Zero. I knew Peter Jennings when he was alive, only because we saw him. <laughs> because he refused to talk to us that one time? No, people refused to see this anywhere near anyone who was important. <laughs> but we work for Fisher. Sit in the back. Way in the back. They needed the whole stage we have for a Lars. Write it down in an index card. The, uh, now, Brian Williams does NBC News, right? That, that is true. Okay, Katie Couric uh, today does CBS News. Mm. Uh, I have no idea who hosts ABC News. Couldn't tell you. Charles mm. Grodin? <laughs> Charles Gro I don't know. There's blood all over OJ's gloves and in the Bronco. I uh there's blood all over the mansion and the stairs. I don't know, I got nothing. Uh this email says his people are fascinated with this Laverne Jordan guy. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't R be? Rick, about Laverne Jordan, after proposing sex for tuition, he ends it with an offer to get started with Would you like that? as if she's supposed to really like the idea. What the F? Yeah. Uh oh wait, oh i okay, there are photos of the guy. I've seen... Wait, hold on. No, no, no. You can't come over yet. Don't look. There's more to the story than's been reported. Tim, do one more here, and then I'll read more of this Laverne Jordan story. Somebody just sent me more of it. Katie Couric may be switching from anchor to author. According to the Post, page 6, amid speculation that she will leave the evening news gig early, there's also word that Couric is considering writing a memoir on her career. Such a book could reportedly earn her a multi-million dollar publishing deal. Among the topics Couric could cover are her days at NBC's top-rated Today show, the death of her husband, that left her a widow with two young daughters, and the move to CBS, where she became the first solo female anchor of the weekday evening news program. I don't think that's correct. I thought Barbara Walters was the first female anchor for a while. They, Which, they teamed her up with somebody else. But they keep changing this, because what, I thought Jessica Savage was the first female anchor. That, too. That's what I'm saying. Every, like, four years, there's a new... This is like how we, we kill the number two person for Al-Qaeda every six months. Mm -hmm. I, I thought Jessica Savage, who was sort of the model for Veronica Corningstone in Anchorman in a kind of weird way, mm -hmm. um, I thought that was the deal with Jessica Savage. That's why she was such a big deal, because she was she was kind of a big deal, because she was the first female anchor, and then I think ended up being a big cokehead... And went crazy yeah. on that tape that got circulated around where she was throwing a tantrum. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of those, I know everybody says that Ron Burgundy is based on so-and-so, but I think that I think that, that opening scene in Anchorman where Ron Burgundy is yelling at whoever it is, the woman who does his makeup, that's Bush Lee, come on, and he's yelling. I think that's because of the Jessica Savage thing. Jessica Savage was this woman who did, was it the ABC News? What the hell? Who did the hell? No, that was NBC. She NBC did news breaks at the top of the hour. So she was an NBC News anchor woman, and there was this widely circulated tape that I guess some camera guy had taken and then got passed around hand to hand in the days before the internet, where she was going on some tantrum, and I think he put the Wicked Witch of the West sound behind it or whatever. Um, so there was her. Then there was Barbara Walters. So that's at least two. And wasn't Connie Chung an anchor? I believe so. So how is it that Katie Couric is considered the first? Look, I love CBS and all. I'm a team player, but how is that even possible? 
Well, I believe on the evening news. Now, I'm not sure if they're saying evening news in general or just plain their evening news. This seems like they're sort of altering the definition to fit what they want the answer to be. Yes. Yeah. All right. But um, we're not going to fall for it. No, no, we're not. Okay, so I've got uh, some of this. This comes to us from uh, KTRK in Houston. Uh, Christian school founder Laverne Jordan will trade diplomas for sex. Now, first of all, I, before you say I want you to look at this guy's photo. That go. is exactly... No, I pictured totally, him having brown hair. That's what I thought he looked this, like. I thought he looked exactly like this. You uh, know, in the South, white people have that pasty white. Uh-huh. No, it's very doughboy. I was just going to say, it's though they've been powdered after yeah. just having gotten out of the bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks kind of like uh, Jerry Falwell, actually. He has Imagine a little bit... That. Little, <laughs> little. I know you're stunned. Yeah, a little bit of a Jerry Falwell thing. Uh, let me finish this cup of coffee. We'll wait. <laughs> Don't mind us. Isn't this exciting, Tim? I love watching Rick drink coffee. He says, so this is some stuff on the tape where uh, Laverne Jordan is talking to one of the mothers. This is from KTRK. The founder of a Christian school is confronted after 13 Undercover, which I guess is their news show, catches him soliciting sex from a parent who's trying to get her daughter a high school diploma. Uh, Oh, so I guess maybe it wasn't even, I guess it wasn't even an enrollment, maybe. It seems like it might not even have been an enrollment. Maybe it was... But it's a great, great sweeps week stuff. I wish they'd do that around here. Maybe it was, it sounds like maybe the daughter wasn't going to graduate or something. Anyway, maybe. Uh, at graduation ceremonies, um, he talks about God, but here you'll hear the founder of a Houston area Christian school not only talk about sex, but ask for it on tape. It's, ask for more. It's the middle of the day when a white pickup truck pulls into the back of a motel. Uh, then it goes to the very back to park for a long while. We oh, already he is the founder of this Christian school. Yes. We already know who the driver is. His name is Laverne Jordan, and he runs Parkway Christian School. So I guess he had made this demand of some parents in the past. Like, look, if you F me, uh, your little daughter will graduate. Uh, and so somebody had squealed to this news organization about it. The news organization busts him, or they, they, they do a sting where they fit the woman with a microphone. They get in the truck. They, they park in the back of the hotel. And I'm quoting now. I'll play the clip here in a second from ABC, and we'll see if it's something we don't already have. This is from the tape where Jordan says, I'm quoting. This is Jordan, the mother. Jordan says, excuse me, and I don't mean to be so blunt, but I'm talking about effing you. <laughs> Which I guess he had to explain. And, and the mother says, you're talking about what? And he just replies, effing you. Genius. Ew. Let's play. Yes, indeed. I want to hear it. Let's, let's play this. Let's see if there's It's audio. a warning to all parents. Um, let's see if there's... Now, see, it doesn't seem like there's audio of that section. Well, that's unfortunate. What? How can there not be audio? Wait, let me look Maybe for page family two. Friendly. Oh, let me see if there's a second page here. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Let's see if I've got... Let's see if we can get this to play. This is KTRK, uh, who are covering this story. Oh, I think this is a, uh... This is like the little pre-roll thing. was like a little, uh, it was a little ad That's there. Beautiful. Okay, so this is KTRK talking about this uh, pasty white southern guy. Okay, by the way, you can tell it's Sweeps Week because they have this really, really great logo mm. where it's it's in the shape of a cross. Across the screen horizontally are the words breach of, and then intersecting is the word faith. So it's shaped like a cross. Oh, I like breach that. of faith, shaped like a cross. It's the middle of the day when a white pickup truck pulls into the back of a motel on 19th Street. Is that Timmy? <laughs> is Timmy moonlighting guy? <laughs> I, I don't know, Tim. <laughs> Come sail away. 
and goes to the very back to park for a long while. We already know who the driver is. His name is Laverne Jordan. What is what is up with this announcer? All right. And he runs a Christian school. What were you doing over the La Quinta? I wasn't doing anything at the La Quinta, sir. Were you there? I was there. What were you doing there? I was just driving around. Why? You know, and this guy right now, so this is this is the guy being interviewed by the KTRK news guy who apparently has ambushed him. Of course, when Mr. Jordan was parked there all that time, we were undercover just a couple of cars away. Were you going there to get lucky? No, absolutely not. You weren't going there for sex? No. The woman getting in Jordan's passenger seat is a parent who's been trying to get her 18-year-old daughter enrolled in Jordan's... This announcer is the best thing I've ever heard. I'm alluring to a critics. The woman is saying she hadn't passed her test and she hasn't got all her credits. Yeah, that is the reason we're going that to That was the reason why we were going to that school. A feat of the school and some coursework can get students a diploma without passing the required state test at Parkway Christian School where the website boasts a program based on, quote, Christian character, morals, values. I love the incidental sound effects for every single thing they're doing. Every time they're showing a piece of text on the screen, and integrity. How long were you talking to him before sex came into it? No longer than five or ten minutes. And what were you thinking? This man got to be crazy. There's no tape? Would no, you get out of my way, please? There's no tape of you and this woman? No. Wayne, would you please move? No. Well, you're going to hear it. And so are you. <laughs> By the way, I want to see the woman to see if she's worth $300. Do you have sexual relationships often anymore? Are you seeing a man now? No. Mm -mm. Jordan had already promised to waive the $300 school enrollment fee for a much different kind of payment. <laughs> this is I That's want, genius. We have to have this guy on. I want to hire this guy. For the um, enrollment fee and stuff like that, maybe you and I can do something, you think? Yeah, well, I mean, well, well, I mean well, well, you going to wipe all the fees? All of the enrollment fee. All the enrollment fee. $300. So you're going to wipe everything and me and you get together? The enrollment fee, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. Can you and I get together? So what you mean? I mean, what... What you mean? Excuse me, I don't mean to be so blunt, but I'm talking about... You're talking about what? Mm. I just couldn't believe that somebody would be saying such things like wow. this. Wow. I couldn't believe it. What does she look like? And she the shows Jordan. No, um, no, you can't. You just see, you see her from the, the back. dark silhouette. Yeah, you, just, you see her from the back, and I think that you just see her from the back getting in, uh, and then uh, all I can tell is that she appears to be a well-endowed black woman. That's all I can see from here. Uh, but then when she's speaking, they're just showing a close-up of her hands holding a rosary. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's, awesome. As she's talking about the guy wanting to, uh, to scoop her. Wasn't just talking about a one-time thing. For the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? Several times? What do you mean by several times? Well, I don't know. You might like what you get. Oh! Are you kidding me? Oh, no, no, no. It might be so good, you got to get more. He was ready for action right then. <laughs> if you're not in, like, just a great big hurry, I know of, uh, of a place not too far that... There's a place for us. ...that we could just do some play around a little bit. Would you like that? More than anything. 
And Jordan wanted to... Oh, um, yeah, they believed it. Well, this is all believed, but um, he uh, he is uh, offering to... He is asking that perhaps if she doesn't have uh, time for, you know, to get what he wants to give her, uh, that maybe she need only be topless for this. Oh, okay. Make sure that no one else would know. Nobody else will know nothing. Can I touch you? Oh, oh. <laughs> can I touch you? I like to say, can I trust you? No, no, he's saying, can I touch you? Are you sure? No, yeah. I'm looking at the transcript. Oh. Like I mean, he's a hillbilly. I'm looking at the transcript. You're not like just a great big hurry. I know uh, of a place not too far that... We can go and I can this is where he says, do you just want to do some uh, blank play, play a uh, which is like an above-the-waist sort of thing? Yeah. And Jordan wanted to make sure that no one else would know. Nobody else will know nothing. Uh -uh. Can I touch you? But our parent will make Mr. Jordan wait for his sexual rendezvous, and this time she'll be carrying our hidden camera and microphone. I meet, was meeting him so y'all can expose him to the world and to the parents that's sending their kids up there. Sunday. All right, that's it. Boy. Wow. Wow, he's an unpleasant-looking guy, too. All right, so that's KTRK. Uh, so uh, congratulations to them and to that news guy. Mm-hmm. Oh. This guy says, the announcer is Neil from Family Guy. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Charlie Gibson hosts the ABC News. Tim, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, uh, you gotta give me a second. I'm laughing my ass off there. <laughs> you, you think the guy would talk like this would have a good uh, Houston Texas accent? But... Uh, the the announcer is fantastic. You know the announcer, uh, maybe not uh, not an incredibly uh, not incredibly polished diction, perhaps, but you know what? He sells it. You can tell that guy really uh, feels the story. He sure does. And did you see the ad before that ran, the video? Uh, I just saw, no, no, no. I, I just saw that it was like a water purifying thing. Oh, so you have a different ad. My ad was like, uh, I think it was like a Nissan white pickup truck was uh -huh. the ad. And it went right into the, the video of him in the white pickup truck. So it looked like they were trying to advertise for this guy. It is sort of That's odd, like on uh, Google AdSense and whatever, when you'll, you'll, you'll be looking at some story for like, you know, 15 people burned to death in an apartment fire. And then it's like a fireplace ad or something over to the right. All right, right, thank you. And, oh, wait, uh, yes. Sarah, Dillon, Sarah Dillon called it a spot on. I noticed that earlier. Uh, she should be one of those. Uh, she should be a drawer for the police. Oh, what he looks like? Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. yeah, no, yeah, you completely nailed it. it. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. All right, thank you. Uh, is that Carl Click? Oh, we had Carl. Apparently <laughs> Carl's gone away. Him? No, I just did it with him there. So I think he might have been calling to tell us the, the Charles Gibson thing. K2's Carl Click, who will be serving as Roastmaster uh, at Rick Emerson Listener Party 2008, Emerson's 11, happening Thursday, May 15th, 8 p.m. Oh, my God, it's less than a month. Crystal Ballroom, no pressure. Uh, featuring roasters, uh, well, uh, among such roasters as Sarah Dillon, uh, Carl Click, the Roastmaster, a set from Nickel Arcade. Are we going to announce another roaster today? Uh, yeah, by the end of the day. By the end of the day, Sarah Dillon will announce another roaster. So roasters confirmed so far are really just Sarah Dillon and Roastmaster Carl Did Click. Did anyone ever... Um... Suggest roaster, I barely knew her. No, no, that's pretty good. Somebody suggested listener, I barely knew her. But roaster, I barely knew her. Hey, uh, speaking of that, this is the final day to get your artwork submissions in for the logo. You do it at 970.am. Starting Monday, we'll put those up, and you'll have a chance to vote and pick uh, the logo. So that's starting next uh, Monday. Uh, but you got till the end of the day, submit your logos for listener party. Oh, don't let me forget, speaking of roasting, um, 
I have, and I was meaning to play this last week. Remember last week we played the Gilbert Gottfried Tim thing? Do you remember how much? Remember how great that was? That Gilbert Gottfried Tim thing you loved? loved it. Oh, that was yes. That was and, the highlight of my day. And then we had Jeffrey Ross roasting Shatner. Uh, I looked and looked and looked, and I I couldn't I I couldn't find it. I meant to play it, and then somebody else thankfully emailed me the link. Um, have you? Did you ever see Stephen Colbert when he roasted Chevy Chase? No. It, Wasn't Chevy Chase like like a poor sport and just threw a tantrum or something? Uh, well, he's been roasted like three times. Every time that they roast Chevy Chase, they get a lower and lower caliber of celebrity there to be a roaster. Like the first time they roasted Chevy Chase back when he was still a movie star, which is like in the late 70s, it was like top-tier talent. Second time, eh. The third roast, it was people that like never met him. Nobody really knew who he was. It was a whole bunch of people that like just weren't doing anything else. So the Stephen Colbert roast of Chevy Chase is Perhaps the best I've ever seen. It's also not really representative of what a roast typically sounds like. A roast, I mean, you heard it with Jeffrey Ross, where he makes, you know, a bunch of cracks about how you look and how old he is and do you wear a hairpiece and, you know, whatever. Colbert's roast of Chevy Chase is a little different because Stephen Colbert is not a typical comedian. Stephen Colbert doesn't really tell jokes. Uh, He doesn't do the... uh, you know, where he winds it up and knocks it down, set up punchline, set up punchline. He does sort of a different type of comedy. So so Stephen, Stephen Colbert roasting Chevy Chase is not really representative of how a roast typically sounds, but it may be one of the most well-crafted pieces that I've ever seen at a roast. So we'll play that uh, later on today. This is Tim Riley. So there's a new book out called, for the kids called My Beautiful Mommy. It talks about cosmetic procedures uh, to give kids a better idea of their mom's plastic surgery. Uh, not everybody's in favor of this book. And the reason why I don't agree with this book is not to over-stylize or to, to make plastic surgery just for vanity's sake. I think if we absolutely need to expose our children to plastic surgery, we do so as more of a medical procedure, as a reconstructive or reparative type of an approach. Please tell me that you have like excerpts from the book. Uh, I have some descriptions. The book includes a page showing a young girl accompanying her mom for a consultation for a nose job. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic. Well, it looks like a rocker Eddie Van Halen is back. The guitarist performed with his band Van Halen Thursday night in Reno after taking about six weeks off due to his health. When the band was forced to postpone concert dates last month, they explained in a statement that Eddie was, quote, undergoing a uh, battery of comprehensive medical tests to determine a defined diagnosis and recommended medical procedure. Whatever that means. Uh, There's a new film out. It's called Where in the World is Osama Bin Laden? It is a new documentary from Morgan Spurlock. It follows Spurlock as he goes through the rigors of training and travel in the hunt for the world's most wanted man, Osama Bin Laden. It opens up uh, apparently everywhere this weekend. What you start to see over the course of the movie is as much as Osama bin Laden isn't in Egypt or Morocco or Saudi Arabia or the Palestinian territories or Afghanistan and Pakistan, he is in all of those places. The spirit of Osama bin Laden, his ideology, the way that he thinks, has infiltrated these countries. Uh, why don't you ask uh, Osama bin Laden if given a chance? I'd like to have heard from him, how does it end? How does this stop? How can the killing of innocent people end? How can all the hatred end? How can it just get to the point where there's peace and security for everybody? And maybe you'd have gotten a real answer. Maybe something real would have come out of that, you know, with actual steps. Or we might have just gotten a whole lot of crazy. It doesn't but find out a lot of crazy. That would have been. All right. There you seems go. like a waste. Yeah, it really does. It just seems like a big waste of film. And especially considering the Weinsteins apparently paid through the nose for it mm-hmm. for reasons known only to God. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll play this Colbert clip, and we'll take a break and come back. All right. Time for a snuff watch. Here's your snuff watch for, um, the hell is today? Friday on the Rick Emerson Show.
Freaky, the longtime keyboard player for Bruce Springsteen, whose stylish work helped define the E Street Band sound on hits such as Hungry Heart Through the Rising, has died. He was 58. He was uh, battling uh, melaloma for three years. He was battling menomena. Yeah, menomena for three years and died at uh, Memorial Sloan Keating Cancer Center in New York. His last performance with Springsteen and the band was last month, appearing during portions of a March 20th show in Indianapolis. Uh, apparently, uh, Danny and Springsteen worked together for some 40 years. Wow, is Springsteen that old? Could that possibly be 40 well, years? Well, Springsteen's almost 60. I keep forgetting he's that old. No, it's because, you know, you know, he's aged. The reason, here's the, the irony is, you always know Mick Jagger's like a thousand years old because he tries desperately to keep looking young. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Springsteen, you forget how old he is because he ages really gracefully. He doesn't try to look any younger than he is. He's like uh, Pete Townsend's the same way. And, you know, for what it's worth, Eric Clapton's the same way. But he just embraces age. Springsteen doesn't go out and try to look like he's 20 years old. Or Keith Moon. Yeah, he looks the way <laughs> he's... Uh, he looks exactly. It's amazing about Keith Moon, Tim. It's a, he looks exactly the same way he did in 1981. He's ageless. It's stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Springsteen just, you know, he just does what he does, and then, you know, and ages uh, gracefully, and so you don't really think about it. But the the thing about this guy is, is that he, I think, was there from the very beginning. I mean, I think from from the absolute beginning of Springsteen's career, uh, this guy was there from, I think, the first album all the way up until, I think, just a couple months ago when he quit touring. And I'm just going to read this. Uh, this is uh, an email that Chris Sneathan, uh, who blogs at onthevig.com, uh, he said about this. And he's he's a huge Springsteen fan, maybe the biggest Springsteen fan I know. This is about Danny Federici, who is the uh, keyboardist for the, uh, the E Street Band. He said, Rick... Very few American bands reached the level of the E Street Band, especially with their mythology. The closest was maybe Guns N' Roses in 91-92, although the way you talk about Metallica and Bigger Than Jesus, they might also qualify. When you saw the band or heard that record, you had the feeling the band lived their songs, all the way from Greetings from Asbury Park, all the way through Magic, which is the last Springsteen record. And when you saw the band, you felt like you were going into battle with them. The E Street Band certainly felt that way. Even last month, I got that feeling. What sucks about Federici's death is that he was, I believe, the only guy who was with Springsteen from the very beginning. He fought all the battles with the he fought all the battles playing organ for the band, and that's why today blows. We lost a rock warrior; it'll never be the same. See also uh, Ron McKernan and Cliff Burton. So there you go. So um, so there you go. So um, longtime member of the E Street Band, uh, now dead. There you go. It's just stuff watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Colbert thing when we get back, perhaps? You want to do that? Yeah. Is that a tease? Right. Uh, yes, it is, Tim. So let's do this. I'll play us into the break here. Uh, we'll come back. We'll do this uh, bit from the Chevy Chase Roast with Stephen Colbert. Then more from Tim Riley. Coming up later on, uh, we're going to be talking to Aaron Geek in the City, Duran, as well as uh, Chris Strompolos and Eric Zala, who are two of the guys who made this Raiders of the Lost Ark shot-for-shot adaptation, which plays tonight at the Hollywood Theater. Stay there. We will continue after this. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Deserve to live. All right. It's 
one of those things you really only realize in retrospect. I thought I was being all clever starting the show with the computer voice thing today where it's all bite my ass. And <laughs> For the $300, I would expect maybe we'd get together several times. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. I realize now. Does it have to be that specific, or can it be the general one? Uh, you mean just the overture? Yeah. It should be the overture. No, I realize now that I should have started the program with some sort of a clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And yet I didn't do that, because I'm a colossal retard. Why, hello. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, so joining us in just a couple of minutes, uh, we're going to talk to two of the guys behind Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, which is a shot-for-shot remake. It's going to be screening tonight, 7 o'clock at the Hollywood Theater, uh, tomorrow, 3.30, 7.30. Uh, and I'm actually re- Here's the thing. I actually am finding myself really uh, sort of uh, edgy and nervous about this because, I mean, it's just become such a huge piece of geek lore. I know you're acting kind of like a crazy person. Over the last few years. It's just, I mean, it's everything that I love sort of all in one pile. I mean, and those guys are totally normal looking. They, and they totally... <laughs> yes, they are, Sarah. No, they're all like good looking dudes. You don't look at all like the men who would make this film. <laughs> uh, but it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's sort of a lost artifact. And it's independent filmmaking, and it's childhood dreams, and it's nostalgia, and it's, uh, you know, uh, achieving what seems to be an impossible goal. I mean, it's pretty, even before I've seen a frame of it, it's already like the best thing that's ever existed. So we'll bring those guys in here in just a just a few minutes, Richie. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, this is your personal saying. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The Seattle Supersonics moving out of the Northwest. It'll make things better for the Portland Trailblazers? No. All right. <laughs> well, the NBA owners approved the Seattle Supersonics move to Oklahoma City. They're going to be playing for Oki. The Oklahoma Sonics. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really flow. I mean, although, I guess we learned to swallow the Utah Jazz, so. Oh, that's true. What kind of jazz comes out of Utah? <sighs> the sad, soulless kind, Tim. Well, the owners voted 28-2 to 2 in favor of the move, with Dallas and Portland voting against it. Uh, so they want to move out as soon as possible because the team is destined to lose $30 million a year if they stay in Seattle for two more years. I don't understand how it's possible that what loses money in Seattle will make money in Oklahoma. I don't know either because Oklahoma City is much smaller than Seattle. This is uh, this is one of those moments where I really wish I knew more about sports than I did. You know, we're going to call Chris Neathan next hour. Chris Neathan, we're putting out the bat sign or whatever it is. Whatever sign you'd respond to. Uh, we're going to find out next hour because I am... Well, I don't mean to sound overly flip about this. I'm not uh, the sports guy, but I know that the Seattle Supersonics are a big deal. Are they actually... Uh, so they're moving when? Does it say when they're, they're leaving? Well, soon. Everything I know about the Seattle Sonics, by the way, just comes from the movie Singles. They could move to Oklahoma City for the 2008-2009 season. Mm. So now. They could move now. I just don't... It, it seems like... Uh, an well, NBA hall and away they go. Like an NBA franchise in Seattle seems like it's a thing that's going to make a lot of money, as opposed to Oklahoma, where I mean, the people in Oklahoma even have money. Aren't they just buying things with dirt clods there? All their balls are deflated. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well, what, where fun goes to die. Yeah. All right. Uh, in any event, and the other teams had to vote for the Sonics to be able to move. Yeah. They voted twenty-nine to two in favor of it. I don't know anything about sports. I really don't. I have well, zero knowledge. Because I don't. I know even less. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll okay. bring in the Raiders guys. Uh, a 31-year-old Eugene man says he and his fiance got an early wedding present, $856,000 for a slap machine. They were playing at the Three Rivers Casino in Florence. It allowed him and his wife to be to pay off their house, buy a new car, and go on a real vacation, not one to Florence. It's the second largest payout Three Rivers has since it opened in 2004. A Florence resident claimed a slap machine jackpot of $1.3 million three years ago. What are you doing? Nothing. Oh. <laughs> I was testing one of the guest mics. Hold on. Let's see. 
There we that go. One that works. one works. Yeah. That one does. Now, I keep forgetting that guest mic three doesn't work, and I keep forgetting to ask Matt about it. So, so right. this one's out of order. Yes. All right. Well, it was a big dream, and it went up in smoke. Remember, they were supposed to give citywide Wi-Fi. That company came in here. Their goal was to have 95% of the city blanketed with a wireless Internet system by summer 2008. Well, it's almost summer 2008, and it's only 15% done. Tim, are you saying that it's summer Internet, some are done, some aren't? Mm-hmm. So apparently they, they promised to uh, do this in the city. It's not going to happen. They're just not going to give it away. And that's what people expected. So if you want a free Wi-Fi, it is currently available downtown in the Pearl District, the Inner East Side, whatever that is, North and Northeast neighborhoods. Uh, and, uh, well, is that going to get any better? Do the Pay Inner East Side just mean that I have Internet while I'm sitting there waiting by the jack-in-the-box to try in vain to get onto the Ross Island Bridge? Uh, that's possible, yes. All right. So they need more wireless transmitters downtown, possibly at the corner of Southeast Hawthorne and Southeast 13th. All right. Can what I ask? That happen? Can I ask a question? Just one brief question, and then we'll, and then we'll then we'll is it move about on. Sports or Wi-Fi? No, it's about the Pearl District. Who named the? Did they? Is that a name they gave themselves? They made it up. Are you kidding me? They made it up to attract real estate buyers. And really? It and it worked. Those sons of bitches. Yeah. All right. We're gonna make up a name for Southeast. And Richie, can you please to be grabbing Aaron? He's stuck at the back door. Yeah, it was a uh, a neighborhood of warehouses and you know chicken guts in the road and slaughterhouses and whatnot. <laughs> So they gave it a new name. And they figured the slaughterhouse and whatnotville didn't necessarily work as a real a real they, estate grabber. They, there used to be trains going through there that, you know, had big barrels of chemicals. Excellent. It was dangerous. Not anymore. They changed the name and people wanted it. All right. That's the American way. It is, Tim. That is industry and capitalism at its finest. All right. Uh, well, let's do this. Uh, is Richie letting uh, Aaron Duran in? Yes, I, I see him coming back, and then. All right. Um, well, let us. Uh, uh, we're, we're, there's a little bit of a Sorry, cluster a here because we're time. we're we're one mic uh, short. So let's do one more story, and then uh, we will uh, bring in the guys from the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation. Uh, David Hasselhoff will have to pay twenty five thousand dollars a month to pay his ex wife and daughters. Uh, court documents released show the star's divorce settlement calls for him to pay $21,000 a month to his ex-wife, Pamela Bach, and another $4,000 to support their daughters, 17-year-old Taylor and 15-year-old Haley. Uh, they both have custody of the three children. The couple also agreed to join ownership of their San Fernando Valley home and to buy the family's cars, bank accounts, and Hasselhoff's pensions from acting and directing gills. Bach and Hasselhoff divorced in 2006 after more than 16 years of marriage. Excellent. Of course, he's been seen tipping the glass on numerous occasions. Yes, he has, Tim. All right, Richie, uh, let's go ahead and welcome, uh, now to the Rick Emerson Show, we'll go ahead and kind of bring everybody in here. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Aaron Geek in the City, Duran, uh, as well as uh, Chris and Eric, who are two of the guys uh, behind Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the adaptation. And Aaron, um, we'll put Aaron back with uh, Sarah and uh, Chris and Eric, if you guys just... Uh, all right. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's uh, we're sort of bringing about 900 people here in. And Richie, can you let Aaron know that he can use uh, Sarah's mic because we're down a guest mic today. So, all right, it's 503-733-2970. If you, oh, did you saw, want me to, did you want me to play what you? Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have? Up? Let me be. Let me break new radio broadcasting ground by playing the Raiders of the Lost uh, Ark theme now, as uh, we welcome the guys from the Raiders uh, adaptation to the Rick Emerson Radio program here. There it is. Uh, part of the CBS Radio family. I love this theme so much. It really is. Aaron, by the way, later is going to be counting down the top five John Williams movie scores of all time. So um, before we do anything else, let's also welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Aaron Geek in the City Duran joining us. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hello, how are you? Did you uh, run to get here? Well, I, well I've been biking every day. 
A bike. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the thing with two wheels. It lets you do bipedal motion. Powered yeah. by human abilities. If you saw the Oregonian on Thursday, or if you've been listening to me nerd out about this every day for like the last four and a half weeks, or if you've gone to Ain't It Cool, or uh, you know, if at any point in your life you ever owned anything that you referred to as a fully posable collectible, uh, you probably know what we're talking about here. It is the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptation screening tonight, seven o'clock tomorrow. 3.30 and 7.30 at the Hollywood Theater. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. I want to make sure I get these right. Is it Chris Strompolos? Strompolos? Strompolos. Strompolos and Eric... Zayla. Zayla. All right. Uh, so, Eric and Chris, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having so us much. It's, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. I mean, this is like the best thing in the history of everything that's ever been a thing. <laughs> in the history of nouns, there has never been a noun that is verbed as coolly as this film. Um, let's just, for the un- uh, uninitiated, people who don't know what we're talking about, this is both very simple and very unbelievably complex and cool. It is a shot-for-shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark that you guys spent seven years making? Correct. Starting yes. in what year? 1981, got the idea. This is Chris. I produced it and played Indiana. And uh, in 1982, Eric and I hooked up with uh, the third member of our trio, Jason Lamb. And um, seven years later, we wrapped in 89 and did a little hometown premiere, and that was it. Now, when you say you got the idea... I mean, I get a lot of ideas while sitting at home, like with a fistful of Cheetos and a remote control. You know what I ought to... And then it's just, it's forgotten. But you guys did this, and then you kept doing it, and then you kept doing it for seven years. First of all, how did the idea... I mean, how does that even appear? Just a great gazoo just appear before you go, you ought to make a shot for shot. Where did you even get the idea to do it? Well, this this is Eric. Uh, Chris came up with the idea when he saw Raiders, split his uh, brain open, as he puts it. And he, he we rode on the school bus together. I borrowed his Raiders comic book, and he remembered that. So he calls me out of the blue and says, hey, I'm doing the shot for shot remake of Raiders Lost Ark. Do you want to help? And I thought he had all the... Sets built, all the costumes picked out. <laughs> Little did I know, the only thing that Chris had done at that point was buy the published script from a bookstore and cast himself as Indiana Jones, as any good producer will do. Indeed. But yeah, we got together <laughs> and uh, we had no idea what we were getting into. I think if we knew it would take seven years, we would have been terrified. Do you look back now with a mixture of sort of. A lot of times I think people do this with things that maybe are. That seem very possible and ambitious when you're young, and as an adult, they just seem flat out effing crazy. And you're going to go, I have no idea what we were doing, and yet you pulled it off, which I guess was maybe the reason you could. How did you even, you bought the script, how did you even storyboard it, though? Because there were no, talking about this earlier, there was no VCRs at the right. time, you couldn't rent this. Did you have to go to the theater and just write down, you know, well, hundred. You know, we didn't see the movie. This is Chris. Uh, we didn't see the movie as many times as you would think. We actually, we actually worked from memory for the first three years, and during those three years, cobbled together a lot of memorabilia, photographs, magazines, and then Eric basically took all this stuff and, to the best of his memory, um, sat down and hand drew over 600 individual storyboards that served as a fairly accurate blueprint um, for the final picture. That is so righteous. I think that might actually be more boards and Spielberg used for Raiders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could be. Our, our end credits do last longer. They might have to do with the fact that Spielberg turned out two sequels to the original indie while we were still remaking the first one. Is how, uh, how drastically do you guys, over the course of the seven years, change the film? I mean, obviously, you're seven years older, but I mean, did you try to minimize it at all, or is it just... Well, you know, we started in age 12. We finished when we were 19. And, yeah, you do change it a little bit uh, in, in that time. Um, you know, first year, nothing pre-production. Second year, we filmed, but we sucked. Uh, we, third year, we started keeping our footage. And we shot third, fourth, fifth, and sixth year, and seventh year edited. So you only see a, a mere four-year range. Uh, Chris's bra- voice breaks 
uh, midway through production. So, uh, you know, there's one tattletale scene where we cut back to a cutaway and uh, his voice dra- drops several octaves. So and hairstyles change. Yeah. You know, uh, Angela, who plays um, uh, uh, Marion Ravenwood, uh, her, she changes this. Uh, noticeably so did you was there ever a moment when you're like four years into this you're like we are never going to finish this i just we yeah, have to every summer up. absolutely <laughs> yeah, every there was the, there's this pervading sense of dread you know that you were never going to finish and, and uh but we just tried to shut out those voices and just keep pushing through you felt like sisyphus with the rock just oh we'll never no come on <laughs> um Aaron, I, I mean, I know you've probably got a million questions. I, I know, I really have got a million. First off, I can't wait to be there tonight. The one question that's always kind of been in my mind is, why did you, why why a reshoot? I mean, I know of hundreds of Indiana Jones fans that are also filmmakers that just kind of shoot their own, you know, little shorts for funds. Why did you think, I know, I'm going to redo it? <laughs> I I, I think, uh, I mean, it really started out as a fantasy, and I just wanted to kind of be part of that world, and it seemed, I, I was never uh, I was never as focused on the accuracy um, that, you know, that that's, uh, Eric sort of guided us in that direction um, to, to be as precise as we possibly could. You know, I simply wanted to kind of fantasize and role play and be in that world, and, you know, if we could create those worlds as accurately as possible, then, you know, how much fun would that be? And it, it was pretty much Eric, er, Eric kept us on track in that regard, keeping it, you know, shot for shot and as detailed and as accurate as as we could have made it. We're talking to Eric Zayla, and is it Strompolis? It's Strompolis. Strompolis! <laughs> oh, I always try to be that guy, and, you know, all right. Uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, uh, tonight and tomorrow at the Hollywood Theater. Um, you guys actually, at one point, uh, another thing that we were talking about today, where as many times as I've seen the film, throughout the day, I kept thinking of other scenes that I somehow had forgot about. Like, how in the name of God did they... And I don't want to give everything away right here, but have you found a submarine, though, at one point? We did. We yep. did. Uh, we we shot on the USS Alabama in the back, be- uh, back bay of uh, Mobile, Alabama, and used a, an authentic World War II submarine that took me about three years to, to acquire. Was that the hardest? Was the submarine the hardest thing? Not really. I mean, it just took a long time. There were other more difficult scenes that, yeah. you know. Uh, Finding a location for the Sahara Desert in Mississippi, <laughs> that was tough. <laughs> Finding a truck that we could blow up. Um, someplace to shoot the bar scene, which, of course, catches on fire. Yeah. Trying to convince the Bellot guy to eat the fly. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I think the one of the fascinating things to me is I'm a huge... I am really fascinated by what I call the hidden history of things, or sort of cultural artifacts and the masking and eventual uncovering of those artifacts. One of the things that I have talked about for years is it, I have this whole... See, again, me with the idea that I will never actually do, that I will then leave to people like yourself. Um, so one of the uh, things that I have a huge fascination about is I, I at some point, uh, after I win Powerball, uh, we'll take a summer, and I'm going to get a film crew, and I'm going to go find the original source for the Star Wars Holiday Special. I'm going to go, because that was a home copy, because there's commercials and the fighting the frizzies and the whatever. I mean, it's obviously not an inside thing from KNBC or something. That was some guy taped it at home on some VCR the size of a house. And I want to go and find the family, the guy that taped the, the Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, so... Speaking of things like that and the uncovering of cultural artifacts, you guys filmed this. You pour seven years of your life into it, uh, and then it just went like went in a box in some guy's garage, right? Yeah, we we never really set out. None of this was supposed to happen. We just did this for ourselves because we wanted to see it through. And uh, when we had our hometown premiere in '89, sat on our bookshelves for like 14 years until uh, a copy by accident falls in the hands of Steven Spielberg via horror movie director Eli Roth uh, through Six Degrees of Separation. So we're just, we've moved on with our lives, you know, uh, married, etc. 
get contacted out of the blue, hi, this is Eli Roth. You don't know me, but Spielberg has seen your Raiders film, and he loves it, and he did, wants to write you a Did letter. you do the obligatory, who is this really? Yeah, well, we, thought, we thought it was a joke originally. Bob! I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we thought it was a big joke. And, yeah, come on. And, and sure enough, ten days later, we all get, uh, you know, Jason, Eric, and myself, we get this beautifully written letter uh, on Spielberg's personal stationery telling us how much he loved our movie. There. <laughs> this is the dumbest question because there's no answer. But what what did that feel like? I da- I think I danced my my you know like uh, you know conservative sort of uh, corporate job. I like you know I danced around the office I think and made an utter fool of myself. And and uh... yeah. my, my wife took uh, took a series of photographs of me gazingly at, gazing at the at the envelope with SS you know and the return mm-hmm. address you know and opening it and I just thought. Wow, it just can't get any better than this. But we actually met him a year later. A year later, um, we, we it was incredible uh, in his office. We've uh, been invited to Skywalker Ranch. We've touched the original Ark of the Covenant prop. Oh, that they used. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh. I, I'm jealous of me. You know? <laughs> I touched Harrison's jackets, and you know, it just really, yeah, we we so, geeked out very hard. Yeah. A loser. And then, then of course, they're, <laughs> they're making a, a a movie about us. And the most surreal twist of this: Scott Rudin has has bought up our life rights. So uh, if all goes according to plan, there'll be a major motion picture from Paramount um, about these wacky Mississippi kids that did the shot for shot remake of Raiders Lost Ark in the eighties. Was there ever? I mean. I'm, just having been on on just tiny little indie film sets for just you know ten minute shorts, I've seen conflicts, blow ups, fallings out. Uh, was there moments like were there moments of tension where you were just I mean you fought over what creative direction or like you know I'd I'd much, you know I'd much rather go to camp this year or I mean. Did anything like that happen? Creative direction, not so much. But Eric and I did have our, our falling out. Uh, one time, it was actually over a girl. I was yeah. I was a little too flirtatious with his girlfriend, and he got mad at me. And you know, for for all good reason. And we you know we uh, we figured it out. And then and then we had um, a technical thing uh, later on where uh, we thought the movie was finished, and, and I did. And Eric said, "No, it's not." And we had a big you know a big fight, and it was stopped. And then Last Crusade came out, and we were like, "Okay, well we got to finish it. Come on." So we did. All right. Um, uh, Aaron, I know we're kind of we're just, just, you guys have probably got a blow here. Yeah, just got a busy quick, day. But, cool. uh, one, one quick little question. Yeah, uh, did uh, Spielberg give you any kind of cameos in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Talked <laughs> <laughs> you out a little solid. No, we, we've uh, we, we, you know that that movie's on such tight lockdown, you know. But no, we that would have been cool. We've got a couple things that we do want to mention though about the screening at the Hollywood Theater. Friday night is sold out, and there's a couple of people that we want to thank that made this entire weekend possible. Uh, we want to thank um, we want to thank uh, Video Verite, Sacramento Heights Condos, the Portland Mercury, and Bridge City Comics. Absolutely. And uh, thanks so much for those uh, those sponsors that got us to Portland and made the screening possible. I think, uh, and, and we want to thank Bridge City as well, for really, who really helped to put this together, having you guys here. Um, a couple final things. Is it going to come out on DVD, big deluxe no. directors, widescreen? No, no, no plans of it right now, just due to kind of copyright and intellectual property uh, parameters. But, you know, maybe maybe there's an attorney in Hollywood somewhere that can overcome that. Um, uh, I, I think. <laughs> I, I think really, and again, Friday night is sold out. Uh, tickets, there's Saturday, uh, 7.30, I'm sorry, rather 3.30 and 7 o'clock at the Hollywood Theater, which is a great venue, uh, regardless. You can buy tickets online at filmaction.org. Filmaction.org. And I think I kind of speak for all of us when I say that it really, in some ways, it is almost like, uh, I remember I, I said, I had some observation at one point that I thought Mike Tyson was sort of the human id, sort of externalized, <laughs> personified, and set on the earth like a golem. Um, you, you guys really, though, I think are, uh, you are the geek id, uh, and, and we all just sort of somehow conjured you through our love of film, and the universe 
willed you into existence to do this at the risk of sounding unbelievably corny, really for all of us. Uh, so cool. thanks, man. Thank so you. congratulations. Thank you, it is like the coolest thing that's ever Thank existed. You. And Thank uh, you. and we're so glad you guys came in. Um, Eric Zela and Chris Strompolas. Very good. Yeah! You got it. <laughs> um, don't forget, Hollywood Theater, you can read all about it in yesterday's uh, Oregonian. 7 o'clock tonight. Sold out, though. 3.30 and 7.30 tomorrow. 7 o'clock. Uh, I'm sorry, 7 o'clock i got to put this down because this is wrong in yeah, like five yeah, ways. It's 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow. 3.30 and 7 o'clock at the Hollywood Theater. Tickets available at filmaction.org. Correct. Um, best of luck in everything you do. Thanks, Aaron, Aaron for... final thoughts? I just, you know, I can't wait to be there. I've already got my tickets for tonight. I am, yeah, I'm there. All right. <laughs> so, uh, a collective woot from all of us. Oh, and one last detail. We're also giving a filmmaking lecture at 1, one o'clock, also at the Hollywood all right, excellent. Thank you guys so much. Hey, thanks best, a lot. Of, best of continued success to all of you guys. Thank, thank, you, thank you very you. much. Thanks for having us. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show continues next. Don't go anywhere. Coming up, top five John Williams film scores. More from Aaron Geek in the City, Duran, Tim Riley, the bottom of the air with news and so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. All right, then. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. All right, let me just say it. How cool were those guys? They were that was so awesome. That was awesome. fantastic. That was the coolest thing ever. And just seeing how excited you guys were was oh, man. the most adorable thing ever. I mean, it's, and I really did mean, I mean, it really, ask Sarah, I was kind of like shaking next to her. Like, you I got so shake. many questions. And he kept like blurting out, like, stop noises. You know, in, in, <laughs> in, in, <laughs> and people can, you know, I suppose there's people who can poke fun or whatever, but you know, F you, you didn't meet Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Seriously. You, you didn't know? get to touch the lost Ark of the Covenant. You go, yeah, you didn't go to the Skywalker Ranch. So, you go uh, die and have your face melted. <laughs> Oh, haters can shut it. Yeah. Um, you know. But, what I, you know what I would do to go on the Skywalker Ranch? I. You know. I. That's a long, <laughs> I don't think we want to know. Okay, that's a long list. There's a lot of things you could throw. Okay. Uh huh. Oh, wow. Do they involve going to La Quinta? Um. <laughs> so, uh, well, I've told you that the that when we did the 48 hour film festival, um, the we got really, really, really lucky. This guy Noah, who was on uh, our 48 hour film festival team, used to do sound at yeah. Skywalker Ranch. He worked at Skywalker Sound, and I mean, we were very. And then no one got to hear it. We were, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were respectful enough to kind of not go tell us more stories. But, uh, but I mean, he he did tell us a cool, you know, story or two about working at Skywalker Sound, and I mean, it was just, you know, and it really is just such a massive touchstone. Yeah. Um, and you know, seven years. I mean, seven years is. Let's see, I would have been twenty-eight, so that would have been what two thousand one. So, I mean, and especially when you're a teenager, and I mean, you know, not to say this everybody knows, but it's a tumultuous time, and you got crap going on, and girls in school, and parents graduate, moving away, I mean, parents, things move, and... I mean, yeah, God, can you imagine if one of them had just been like, I'm sorry, Daddy's moving to Nebraska with the whole family. Yeah. I mean, they would... There's so many billions of things that had to go right for that movie to even exist, and then... I love see in a weird way to me, and you know they just edited one VCR to another. That was I forgot to ask. Uh, he, we had some questions. People were like, "Did they edit in camera?" But how do they? Come on! And you know, well, you one can ask VCR to tonight, another. right? Yeah, yeah. They're gonna have a Q and A afterwards. I think so. I uh, and in a way, I think it's so much better that the movie sat forgotten on a shelf for 14 years. You know what I mean? In its own government warehouse. Yeah, because kind of thing. <laughs> if, they'd, if they'd made it and then immediately somehow, although it wasn't even possible then technically, if they'd made it and then immediately everybody kind of known about it, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as cool. Yeah. The idea that it sat there in a box, packed inside another box, in a crate, in a garage for a decade and a half, 
And then they, the other thing that makes it great is that, I mean, I'm just sitting gushing, but the other thing that makes it great is that they themselves didn't release it. That Spielberg saw it before they even knew anybody had a copy of yeah. it. Because it was like, they, they get out of their garage. Because they did occasional screenings, he said, but in the first couple of years, they would do an occasional screening for like their friends. Like, come on over, we'll make popcorn and watch this, this Raiders film that we spent, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and I guess at the some stuff point, we all do. Totally. <laughs> and at some point, they made like a VHS dub for a friend of theirs, I think, was like, hey, that's really cool. Can you make a VHS of that? I've got to go home, but I'd love to watch it later. So they make a VHS dub for a friend of theirs. The friend makes a copy for somebody else. That guy makes a copy for somebody else. That guy makes a copy for somebody else. And the next, you know, Eli Roth is seeing it. The guy who made Hostile. Yeah, finally, Eli Roth has done something good. <laughs> Eli, that makes up for... It really makes up it's for really all of his other films. his only contribution to pop culture. That's why Eli that Roth had to exist. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's literally... They made a copy for one friend of theirs, I think. And it just spread and spread and spread, and eventually Steven Spielberg saw it. They didn't even know it until they got a, a call at home. Hi, this is Eli Roth. Steven Spielberg wants to meet you. And I can't even fathom... I mean, that's, that's such a surreal experience as to defy... It's, it's like that scene in The American President when Annette Benning gets the phone call from the president. Totally. He's like, ah, mm -hmm. uh, my God, he's got a great ass, and then hangs up. Uh, I love that movie. Jesus. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, really is, uh, it really is quite something. So, um, all right, here's what's coming up. Uh, Tim Riley... In short hours, we're going to dork out all over again. Completely. No, you're right. I'm just going to call my wife during the break of the day. Baby, I'm not coming home. <laughs> oh, you know, Laura will not have a problem with Adventure Rick, is waiting. Baby, Rick Emerson going alone. Uh, so, uh, especially because tonight's sold out, and uh, we were very, very fortunate to be able to sort of uh, to get get ourselves on the list for that. So, um, I'm oh, yeah, no, it's, I can't allow myself to think about it. Too I much. can't. That's exactly what it is. Like I, I've seen that there are some um, videos on the YouTube I didn't of look. it. I can't look at it. I actually, I'm just way too dorkily excited. I actually got a hold of the movie. Uh, a little while ago, and then I heard the rumors that they were going to start making the theatrical rounds. Yeah. I'm like, screw it, I'm not watching. Well, that's like I won't. I was read. like, okay, now I'm going to wait. I somebody sent me, you're like, hey, here's the guy running for the big boulder. I'm like, delete. I don't even want to see it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's like I don't want to read the World War Z script. Yes, you do. I but see, I don't. Really good. But I, I mean, I want to see the movie. But you know what? I, I really, I'm so looking forward to World War Z that I know someone named Aaron. It has a copy of the script. Oh, boy. But you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to read it. Oh, I know. you have, yeah, you can hold that, because I found out this huge thing about the Sex and the City movie, and I keep pestering my sister. I'm like, do you want me to tell you what happens? Do you want me to tell you what happens? And Should we reveal it, it here? No, people no. would be mad. Um, I know what happens. But uh, <gasps> if I cared about the movie, I would. it would affect me. Aaron, you know what? I'm pretending to care about some things that you talk about sometimes. You can pretend Like when I talk about D&D? Your yeah. eyes roll back. Actually, I don't pretend to remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 yeah, you don't even cover that. Yeah, that was a um, nice attempt, though. <laughs> but no, I, it's like, you know, you know, Lara, for example, has no self-discipline when it comes to Christmas presents. She constantly is like, can we open, we, I know it's a month before Christmas, can we open one now? And I'm like, baby, you got to wait till Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve, she always wants to open everything. And she asks me, she's like, do you want to know, do you want to know, do you want to know a hint to what one of your Christmas presents? See, that's I, what I do. I don't want to open mine, but I want to yeah. tell everybody what I got them, because yeah. I'm so excited to I, give them she gifts. She always wants to hint to me what she got me for Christmas. And I always say, I don't want to know. I'll open them Christmas morning. I have no problem waiting. Uh, that's how it is with this movie, and that's how it is with World War Z. I mean, I know the script is apparently pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. It's gonna. It made me want to see the movie even more. Yeah, so. I just. Uh, I mean, and I've already read the book, so I mean, I got a general idea of, of how it unfolds, maybe. But I just. Uh, I can wait. Yeah, it's not gonna. It's not gonna kill me to wait. All right, it just fell on your desk one day, taunting you. See, I just don't. I don't think I would. I think I love that book so much that I think I would rather wait really? okay. and be surprised in the theater. Um, so it's not like you can't enjoy something that you know the outcome of, but I just. Uh, you know, I think I'd rather wait at this point. Uh, we got the top five John Williams scores coming up. Uh, we already got a preemptive email from somebody threatening you with um, 
Can, do you have the list? Yeah, I can got I see it. Now, can I see the list for a second? Hold on. Well, I initially did it as his greatest tracks ever. Right. But then you started pitching it as a score, so I had to kind of scramble to oh, create. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, so this is it's no longer his individual tracks. It's the scores. Oh, there's going to be trouble. All right. Well, F oh, can I see it? I can, there's somebody who's already uh, already preemptively mad about one of your inclusions. Sorry. Thanks. All right. Not an exclusion. There was somebody who was mad oh. about one of your inclusions. Does his name rhyme with that boy? No, his name rhymes with, uh, well, I don't want to say his name because it would shame us to do so. Oh. Ha! Uh, he's so clever. All right. Good thing he's hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Is he going to come for the listener party? You know, I don't know. Carol in Tucson's going to be here, though. Awesome. Got an email from Carol in Tucson. She's going to be here. Uh, so should we do this now? I mean, what should we do? Uh, I'm going to play the Stephen Colbert thing here. Okay. Uh, so this, oh, this is Chevy Chase roast. This is Stephen Colbert roasting Chevy Chase. Uh, I don't now, think I want to hear now it. Now, again, hurts. keep in mind, this is, as I said earlier, it's different than a now, typical roast. Now, I will not make... Hold on one second. Let me jump in. Is this the one... Now, I had heard... I don't know if this is true or not. Is this the one where Chevy Chase actually did not come to his own roast? No, no. He's there. Because he mm. this is like three years ago. What else is he doing it? You know, in 2005? Trying to do his follow-up to his great album? Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, it's just, you know. So, um, the Chevy Chase has been roasted a few times. And as I said earlier, every single roast they do of him, it's like the stars are smaller and smaller. People you don't even care <laughs> about. People who were just walking by the Kodiak Theater. Um, so, uh, what was I saying? So, uh, so, I'll play just a little bit. I won't make everybody hear it again. But I'm going to play just a little bit of the Gilbert Gottfried one. So you get the idea of how a roast typically works, mm -hmm. where it's just like a setup knockdown. The one and only Gilbert Gottfried. And this is more traditional, where it's just he does one punchline after another. But Hugh Hefner is so old that Hugh Hefner is so old. This evening went by so quick. <laughs> it, it just seemed like it started 50 hours ago, and here I am. He takes Viagra. Let me tell you something. You have to not need Viagra. He needs cement. <laughs> he needs to take ice cream sticks and tape it around his <laughs> and use it as a splint. <laughs> but let's face it, with a truckload of Viagra, he couldn't jello. Which is pretty great. <laughs> uh, here's a little bit of the Jeffrey Ross one. Please welcome. The Roast Master General, Mr. Jeffrey Ross. This is Jeffrey Ross uh, roasting uh, William Shatner. So the Shatner roast. That was a great roast. It is. One of the best I've seen. Yeah. All right. Okay, that is who I thought it was, because I recognize the voice. But Jason Alexander, sure. you clearly come from the planet trying too hard. <laughs> you sing, you dance, you act, you do everything but make people laugh. But I did love you in March of the Penguins. As many as you know, last year Comedy Central threw a very successful roast of Pamela Anderson. And this year, in keeping with that tradition, we're roasting another bad actor with big t <laughs> Look at you. Look at you, Shatter. You have let yourself boldly go. <laughs> When did you go from Captain Kirk to Captain Crunch? So there you go. So, that, so that's a pretty traditional joke. So, so do you think is, that, do we have to do like a bunch of one-liners? You, know, you can do it. Oh, I've got all kinds of stuff. I go from story to one-line to you story. You can do it however you want. I'm just, uh, this is really just to highlight the difference between usually what a roast is and how Colbert does it here. Okay. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is Stephen Colbert 
Even a roast, uh, as it is an autopsy. Yeah, at the roast uh, at the roast of Chevy Chase, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Geez, I'm I'm kind of at a loss here. I don't really know what to say. Uh, I know that these roasts usually involve a fair amount of good-natured ribbing, but uh, when I was asked to do this, I was informed that this was actually going to be honoring Mr. Chase, and I am appalled at some of the things that I have heard said about this man. And I don't I don't really mean out here. I mean backstage. Some really hideous. Hurtful, hate-filled things you could never take back. And I just, I will not be party to it. I'm sorry, I've got to draw a line because who am I to attack Chevy Chase? I don't know Chevy Chase. I have never met Mr. Chase. I'm actually, I'm uncomfortable calling him Chevy. The only thing I think of when I look at this man is there, but for the grace of God go I. Why would I tempt the comedy gods to strike me down like this? To leave me pale and pear-shaped, a humorless husk of my former self, haunting the halls of Hollywood like some sort of walking, waking, cautionary tale, shapeless and odorless and colorless, gray on beige, a comedy lamprey just sucking the joy out of everything I touch. I won't do it. Over the decades, Mr. Chase and his fellow original Saturday Night Live sketch of tears fame and fortune making us laugh, but for some of these people it went to their head. We know that Dan Aykroyd has tried the dramatic arts, of course Bill Murray very famously overreached with the razor's edge, but this man never forgot what got him wherever it is he thinks he is. He never ever attempted to do anything that was in any way different than the last thing he did. And that is so refreshing in its sameness. Finally tonight, I'd like to offer a little bit of warning to the rest of the people who have to come up here and talk about this good man. Before you attack him, think there may come a day in your darkest hour when you are a shadow of your, albeit paper-thin self. When that day comes, I hope you are cheered up by something that Mr. Chase so famously said. He's Chevy Chase, and you're not. And if that doesn't cheer you up, I don't know what will. So there you go. He said that? Yeah, that was yeah. used to be his sign-up line. You know, good evening, I'm news. Chevy Chase, and you're not. Oh. Uh, so there you go. So that's Stephen Colbert roasting Chevy yeah, that Chase. that one hurts. I remember watching that at home when it aired live and just sort of... Pull- kind of want to, like, take off your skin. Yeah, like kind of pulling back from the TV like, Jesus, God. Well, they kept cutting at Chevy who wasn't smiling No, at Chevy Chase was not smiling at all during that part. Uh, the, the one thing I remember is when he does, when he finishes that long part of the middle where he goes... A comedy lamprey sucking the joy out of everything I touch. They cut to Richard Belger in the audience, who just kind of mouthed the word, 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really good. So, and then if you could find on the Shatner roasts, you've got to find the George Takei stuff. Um, yeah, well, you know, who Jeff- is just repellent and disgusting. And um, apparently Jeffrey Ross, who I always point out as my favorite roaster, I guess he wrote most of Takei's jokes, too. Yeah, uh, they're which were bad. especially vile. Don't call me Sulu. Blue All right. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we uh, unveil the name of another roaster for Rick Emerson Listener Party 11? Oh, sure. Do we have a drum roll? I, I have thought this. you had a drum roll. I have this. Right here. This doesn't really work. I'm, kind of, I'm really proud of this. I one. have this. I have a drum have roll. A drum Wait, roll. hold on. I'll, I find, let, me, let me find a drum roll. Uh, let's see. <laughs> or, or, uh, let's see. Hold on here. D? This is just the longest intro to something that's pointless. Drum. Can I just. Are you seeing if you can actually find it on. I'm just going to find it. Do you want me to just bang on the counter? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have already announced Roastmaster Carl Click. Television's uh, Carl Click from K2 will be the Roastmaster for the evening. Uh, One of the roasters already announced that is, of course, the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. We now proudly unveil ICP style the second roaster card, ladies and gentlemen. Wait. The second roaster card, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, the second roaster. From the Willamette from the Week. From the Willamette Week, Mr. Byron Beck. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Byron Beck from the Willamette Week, uh, our second unveiled roaster for the evening. Uh, so, Oh, God, I cannot wait to hear what's going to come out of his mouth. So now roasters for the evening, Roastmaster Carl Click, roasters including Sarah X. Dillon and Byron Beck from the Willamette Week. So uh, there you go. He's sort of the Mr. Bucket of journalism. So he'll be there. Uh, Does that mean that's the Mr. Bucket of journalism? Thursday. Does that mean... Don't see. Come on, there's no. been. See, you see the line there. I know there's been two hours. You looked at me, and you should not. When that I, was the when first I say one, no. you have to look at us yeah. to see if it's appropriate. No, 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 no. It's Hold, not appropriate. Wait. I know it's not appropriate. I just want to point out that you have thrown me two beautiful, disgusting alley oops, and I've pulled back each time. Let's just. Mr. Bucket. The game's Mr. Bucket. The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins. But look out, because the balls will pop out of his mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. The balls will fall out of my mouth. I'm Mr. Bucket. A ball is what I'm about. I'm Mr. Bucket. We're all gonna run. I'm Mr. Bucket. Mr. Bucket from Milton Bradley. The unfortunate result of a misspent, media-saturated childhood is the Rick Emerson Show on AM 970, Solid State Radio. Now, if you're ready. We will begin. AM 970. Solid State Radio. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Aaron Geek in the City Duran here coming up at 3. Like us. Michael Maris Show at 7 tomorrow. Uh, Dennis Pitsenbarger miles around 9 to 11, preceded by car and driver radio. Uh, still to come, top five John Williams film scores uh, of all time. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, this is your personal savior. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So now they changed your mind, we're just going to get thunderstorms tomorrow afternoon instead of snow. So you're all set for that. All right. 
Uh-oh. There's a mystery man handing out gifts at an Oregon festival. With a number of record number of vendors and participants, organizers say this year was the most successful, but for one man, the event marked a significant day in his life. Kirk Stone, a disabled veteran, attended his first Pear Blossom Festival. He said he looked at a violin at a vendor stand when a stranger walked up and asked him if he'd like a violin. He said he wouldn't, but the man handed over the brand new violin to Stone, and he wouldn't stop there. The stranger handed over several $100 bills to vendors and handed out gifts to other strangers. Nobody knows the identity of the man, but some believe he's a Jacksonville resident. For the $300, I would expect maybe we could get together several times, you think? So this year's keynote speaker at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention in Vegas, Tim Robbins, an actor. He said today's news and entertainment content is driven by pornographic obsession with celebrity culture. We love distraction. I don't know about you, but show me a starlet without panties getting out of a car, and suddenly the world seems to be a better place. Show me Knight Rider drunk on the floor eating a hamburger, and I won't ask why my kids have no health insurance. Let's stop burdening people with the facts. A few people walked out on that. This is really our mission statement that he's inadvertently defining there. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's what happened at the NAB this year. He was a keynote speaker. I almost wish I'd gone. Vladimir Putin has finally responded to Internet and press rumors that the Russian president is leaving his wife for a 24-year-old gymnast. <clears throat> Sorry. Bless you. I've always, I've always reacted negatively to those with their snotty noses and erotic fantasies prowling into others' lives. That's a relatively mild rebuke by Putin's standards. The former KGB agent once threatened a reporter with forced circumcision. Wow, really? <laughs> Yes. I don't remember that. So is well, it, it is Russia. Now, but is it true? Is he leaving his wife for a 24-year-old gymnast? He won't admit it. But, I mean, is it true? I don't follow Vladimir Putin activities. Well, I looked into it over the weekend. Maybe if he took his panties well, off. Well, he didn't say it wasn't oh, that's true. That's true. probably true. Well, he's yeah. not leaving his wife. But he's Vladimir Putin. He'll do whatever he, he wants. He needs to be drunk <laughs> on the floor eating a hamburger. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this email. What the Russian people find more offensive that he was drunk or that he had the only hamburger left? This email says, Rick, I don't know if you caught it or not. Aaron the Geek just said, quote, I have a mix of stories and jokes I'm going to use. Aaron has just spilled the beans that he's one of the roasters. Way to go, Aaron. Oh. Uh, uh, so that was on the air? Uh, yes, it was. But see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think how people wouldn't assume that. I mean, yeah. I mean it's not a not, surprise. Like, no. the, like with, with Byron, that's a surprise. I mean, people are going to assume it's not some big surprise that I'm going to be there or Aaron's going to be there. Hell, yeah, I've been glomming for on you for like the last three years. You know what it is? We're sort, of, we're sort of mixing in the, the sort of surprising ones with maybe the ones that people think are probably going to happen. Uh, so, uh, so we, you know, we're sort of studying the, you know, the, the, you know, over the next ten days, studying it with sort of ones that maybe people might not anticipate. Unless that was just a clever ruse on my part. Uh, this one says, by the way, do you guys know that you have to write material roasting you and then cracking also jokes about everybody in the panel? Well, as we've said, sort of everybody there is kind of kind of fair game. So, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll import Andy Dick just for the occasion. Here's Tim Riley. If you're not in, like, just a great big hurry, I know of, uh, of a place not too far that we can go and I can just do, that we can just do some play around. Oh, gosh. Like that. <laughs> That's so creepy. <laughs> uh, well, thank goodness for Texas. A Japanese high school pleaded for a regional game to be abandoned after surrendering 66 runs in less than two innings. The coach of the technical school threw in the towel to spare his pitcher's arm, with his team losing 66 to nothing, <laughs> with just one batter out at the bottom of the That's second inning. That's just sad. The hapless hurler had already uh, sent down over 250 pitches, allowing 26 runs in the first inning, 40 in the second, when the uh, losing team begged for mercy. <laughs> <laughs> At that pace, the pitcher, the pitcher would have thrown around 500 pitches in four innings. 
There was a danger that he could have gotten injured. Is there no such thing as relief pitching no, in Japan? Apparently not. I'm so tired. You you bring shame on the family. For you the three hundred dollars, I would expect maybe we could get together several times. You think? Those are ribbons of shame. <laughs> you keep pitching. From England comes word. <laughs> Tim, please don't leave me here. <laughs> Does this happen to you every other Friday? Where you start to feel yes, like you've been left alone with spastic children? Yeah, Aaron and I have a great relationship, but I realize it's best when it's on the Internet and then when he's in person. Oh, wow. What do you mean? I don't change. No. He comes in he says he doesn't, like my, says he doesn't like my glasses. I and like judging, your glasses. Then he's, like, doing Wait. other things. What? What have I done? Judging. Silently if judging. I'm like just a great big hurry. I know. I'm just standing here. I'm not saying anything. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. I wasn't meant to be mean. You're having. A, I feel like you're having a no, I just, severe reaction. To I'm this. not having a severe reaction. I'm just saying. I'm just seeing Aaron when Aaron got a pulled back from the microphone. Oh, Aaron, I didn't mean it like that. You know, Aaron, I, mean, I like it when you're you, just baby. words on a screen. But yeah. if I have to be in the same room like with you when, as a human being, Aaron, I like it when you're not a person. Aaron, I like that little smiley icon. Mm -hmm. I like it when I can just close the window and not have to hear your words anymore, Aaron. <laughs> Why can't your people go back where they came from, Aaron? I just... See, oh. why, now why do you got to take it there? Why you got to make I it... Always... Because you didn't think about it. What you were supposed to think of that last Make thing. it all about the white man, Aaron. Why's that well, got to no, be... he's just recommending a return to Susanville, California. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, Aaron. Go back. You know I'd rather go back to Tijuana than go back to Susanville. <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly the kind of frivolity you can expect at Listener Party 11, happening Thursday, May 15th, with 100% more booze. 8 p.m. I was going to say, and Aaron, Aaron will both be drunk by then, too, so that would be fantastic. So, all right, it's... Um, uh, Tim, have ye more news? Well, just one more. All right. Then we'll do the top five. As hard to believe as this may seem, the NBA has approved a move of the Seattle Supersonics to Oregon City. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be impossible to believe, wouldn't it? The NBA Commissioner David Stern said there are only two votes against the move, so move they will. Uh, the Seattle Supersonics have been in Seattle for 41 years. And uh, apparently, let's see, the team already uh, spent 300 this could be, this is wrong. A $300 renovation key arena, I think they're missing some zeros here. <laughs> and they only paid half of that, so it's upsetting people. So they paid $150. You dare to rip the end. Yeah, I think Seattle, like, the people approved a huge tax break to repair it. Right. And then he's bailing. Well, you know, it, I mean, the, the city has just been, I mean, they had that whole thing with the kingdom falling apart. Nobody wanted to pay money to fix that either, so. All this to watch people throwing the ball around. It's true. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do this. Your top five for Friday on the Rick Emerson Radio five. Program. Four, no, 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 don't look. Three, two, Does he have one, the top five list? Five. I thought that's what that was just now. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting is the reading best it? thing to do. Yeah, who's reading? Is uh, there only one? Aaron will introduce it. Tim will count it down. So I didn't mean to pass notes in front of you, but I took the greatest idea. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron will introduce this top five, which Tim Riley will then present to you in his usual sterling fashion. So here it is. In honor of the Raiders adaptation today, I am presenting the top five John Williams scores of all time. And now when you say John Williams scores, now what was the list originally? Originally, I was going to pick his best tracks. Like what? I mean, but what has he like, done other than scores? No, no, no. I mean, like, all his scores, like his top five greatest pieces ever. Like, instead of, like, songs like I Imper Imperial March. I important one missing. Oh, jeez. Here it goes. <laughs> like, the Imperial March is a John Williams track, oh, I, I guess. Oh, I see. So, uh, you can't call them songs. So you are saying these sort of overtures. 
Okay, yeah, but the theme songs. Yeah, but say. this kind of got retooled into just what I think are his top five scores. All right, so these would be top one five opinions. John, <laughs> I realize you know the last like five top fives I've done have been always really decisive. So well, you're always like sticking your neck out there because these are like I know, man. Big ones. I'm the only one who's got the stones to you know risk it. So Tim is already seeing one omission. We've already got a preemptive angry email about something that's on oh, the list. Oh, and Fatboy already sent me just the meanest email. He's like, if these aren't on here, you're an idiot. All right. <clears throat> it's nothing but love here at CBS Radio. Uh-huh. Everybody does sound a little wacky today. This does seem to happen every other Friday, doesn't it, Sarah? Glad I'm not sweaty anymore. <laughs> not so much on, not so much on the first or third Friday. Yeah, it just seems to be the second or fourth. I don't really know to what Maybe I describe. Maybe we can write that, that wrong. Somehow. Tim Riley's giving me that. Let's let's get this underway. Look, he wants to get well, on that. I, 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 I just don't see the. You can't wait to get on public transit. I've offended <laughs> Tim Riley with my list. Well, I don't, I don't see the, the theme from NBC Nightly News on here. Did John Williams do that? His finest work of all time. <gasps> uh, the Brian Williams when Brian is in your turn. face. Well, because everybody made fun of it, and he didn't even really want to do it. All right. Even He's the just... one before that was a John Williams composition. Aaron, but who am I? Wow, you've earned the scorn of Tim Riley. I said film score, not television. Worst work. list ever. All right. See here. I don't see I anything back that says your film score. <laughs> oh, just leaving. <laughs> wow. I'm going to go play on the Marconi show or something. I'm sorry. I don't have any Jew candy. <laughs> Jesus. All right. It says here, yo. Uh, <laughs> you don't really have to read the whole thing. Honorable goes to uh, <laughs> Harry Potter and the uh, Prisoner of uh, Azerbaijan. <laughs> okay, this is beautiful. This is technically called Hedwig's theme. All right, let's just... We should... That is pretty great. Uh, it kind of gives me chills, actually. Yeah. I remember... Uh, oh, I remember just going to see every Harry Potter movie, and this, mu- this music starts. And this, and then I remember after the first one came out, all the subsequent films, seeing the teaser trailer, where it would just say, like, December 2005, <gasps> and then you would and just this? hear this, and there'd be, like, this. the whoo-whoo of the owl or whatever, and... You, uh, well, this is a great... I didn't know he did this, actually. Uh, this was the last Potter one he did, Prisoner of Azkaban, which I think is his best score of the Harry Potter like, series. Yeah, I forgot who I thought it was, but I thought it was somebody else, but... Uh, yeah. He's the one that took the creepy um, scene from uh, Macbeth, the double-double toil and trouble, uh-huh. and he turned it into a song for the Halloween scene in Prisoner of Azkaban. But so he did what we generally consider to be the Harry Potter theme, which is that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, dun, this dun, is, dun, people dun, consider this the Harry Potter theme. It's actually called Hedwig's, Hedwig's theme. It's really great, though. It's a, it's a really a beautiful piece of music. Give it a couple years, it'll be used for Wal- Walgreens or something. It totally. <laughs> uh, number five, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is the Close Encounters, which is kind of amazing because it's really uh, it's like five notes or something. Pretty much. I mean, like, again, I picked the most iconic sound from the film. You know, it's funny on this. Uh, I don't know if you can hear this when it goes over the air, but here you can actually hear the sounds of his fingers pressing the keys, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah. There's a really great story that James Lipton, of all people, pointed out to Spielberg. This is, you know, this is from the end of Close Encounters of the Third Time, Third Kind, where there's the huge spaceship, and then there's the guy playing the organ. The organ with lights. The organ with lights. And the spaceship is, of course, a scientific, technological being, and the organ is a musician. Right. And they're talking back and forth to each other in this sort of mathematical music, and Lipton pointed out something that Spielberg himself did unconsciously, but never was aware of until it was pointed out to him. Right here. 
So Spielberg's parents divorced when he was, uh, I think, 12 or 13 mm-hmm. as his formative years. Steven Spielberg's parents divorced, and Spielberg has talked a lot about how he was really... Um, Spielberg himself has talked about how he he was really filled with remorse that his parents couldn't communicate better with each other. Spielberg's dad was a mathematician and his mom was a musician. Oh, wow. How great is that? Yeah. So Spielberg's got his parents who are divorced. Dad is a mathematician. Mom is a musician. Spielberg goes on and on about how he wished they could have learned to talk to each other. And so he creates a movie in which a musician and a technological spaceship speak to each other through music. That's cool. It's like the best, sweetest, saddest thing ever. There's also a rumor that the aliens that made the Crystal Skull uh-huh. are the aliens in Close Encounters. Get out. The same race. Really? I don't know if it's true or not. And I bet it's one of those internet rumors, but it'd be kind of cool. Moving on, Tim. Number four, Star Wars. <laughs> Tim says, barking it out quickly. All right, Seamus is all pissed off that this is on the list because he claims that Williams. Seamus claims that that Williams stole this note for note from some old Ronald Reagan film. I swear to you, that's what it says. He he names the composer. Okay, that's fine. But did Williams steal every single thing he did for the Star Wars score? Look, I'm just passing along the email as it was sent to me. Williams is channeling Wagner because Lucas wanted to do that type of film. I mean, Lucas cut all of Star Wars to Wagner music. Let me just read this. It says, hey, Star Wars better not be on this list. Aaron had better not include Star Wars on it. Star Wars geeks like to claim that John Williams' Star Wars composition was just inspired by elements from many sources, including Eric Korngold's theme for the Ronald Reagan movie King's Row. That is BS. He claims, he claims John Williams' score is nearly note-for-note note identical to Korngold's earlier work. Blah, blah, blah. Shame on Aaron if you know he chooses this. You know where Korngold can stick it, it? It's wrong. I have all of Korngold's work. It's at home. Really? Including that Ronald Reagan movie. That's not the same thing. Now you believe, <laughs> in your face, Seamus. Had I known, I would have brought it in. Can you bring it in Monday? Yes. All right. I have so, all the works of Korngold. Really? Yeah. But they're all Warner Brothers movie themes. You, you have just, to have them. You know, you are an unfolding panoply of mystery and intrigue, Tim Riley. He's like the clean version of Richie. I have all of like Eric Korngold's work at home. These things just keep coming out of him, but they're not you know, He's gross. an Eric Korngold fan. Uh, we are counting on the top five John Williams scores uh, of all time. Ladies and gentlemen. Number three, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. yeah. Is this the, uh, and this is the indie march. It starts with the drums and the... Yeah. And this is the great moment in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull trailer. Where you hear like drums come in, yeah, and then you see him pick up the hat or whatever. I'm gonna have to go into that movie with just nostalgia mode only. You know they're not screening it for critics. I mean, not really. I mean, there's a select few. You know it's gonna be bad. Oh well, I'm, but I don't care. A bad Indiana Jones movie is gonna be better than like another whatever Nicolas Cage movie. I don't totally. think it's gonna be bad, and I'll tell you why. It may not be great, but Spielberg. We talked about this before. I don't think he's ever made a bad action movie except for Hook. Right. I, I don't think, mind Hook so much. Yeah, Hook, but even Hook's not like the worst thing ever. I don't think Spielberg's ever made a flat-out bad action film ever, 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 ever. And I've read the synopsis to this movie, and it's going to be a fun action film. Yeah. So I just hope he can maintain the, you know, the indie mystique with the whole thing. So. Well, and I. Uh, well, now should I pass along a rumor if it's not a spoiler? No. You okay. can pass along rumors. All right, go ahead. Spoiler or not, rumors are rumors. I mean, this is not a spoiler. This is a rumor. This is something I read on a message board where some guy—a true rumor. It's a thing a guy heard from a guy who heard from a guy. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to do that? No. No. All right, let's. Does it involve at the very end of the film? Yes, it does. Okay. Counting down the top five John Williams scores of all time. Number two, Jaws. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jaws. I'm okay. sorry, well, I brought I'll in an a, audio well, CD. Take a breath. That's all right. I got to get a different I hate CD, the CD player. player. Well, it's old. At some point. No, it's old. It's it, ancient. It, it was from a simpler time. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, this thing is frightening. You know, uh, uh, Williams did this as a joke. Spielberg was yeah. at his house, and Williams was like, you mean something really simple? Like, dun, 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 for like an hour. <laughs> and Spielberg's like, no, 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 that's great. Yeah. They've screened this film without the soundtrack, and it does not have the same Wait for it. impact. You know, when they... Oh, yeah. oh, I can't even listen to this. It freaks me out You'll so never badly. go in the water again. Aaron, you know what you're missing because you don't have the internets right now? I just got an email from Commissioner Gordon. Wait a minute, my phone went off too, so that might be... When they first, uh, let me just say that when they screened this movie for the first time, Jaws, they did it without the music, and the movie scored a 71. They added the score, and the movie scored a 94. Yep. I mean, that's how crucial this piece of music was to it's it. It's really, and this was also, people consider Star Wars as the first blockbuster. It was Jaws. Jaws, first movie to break 100 million. Yeah. Does it still hold up? I've oh, never, oh, I've yeah. never seen Jaws. Oh, yes. yes. What? Really? Mm-hmm. so. Well, it still holds up. Oh, yeah, it, it still tears up. Of course, up. I've seen, like, bits and pieces of it throughout the years. I mean, the, years, the fashion and stuff dates it, but no, it very much holds up. Yeah, and I mean, you know... And it does have 70s colors, and they all look like washed out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, it, you know, but it's a period piece. It's, it's supposed to take place in the 70s. And plus, you also know in your head, there is no 40-foot shark uh, jumping out of the boat, you know, jumping out of the river. A woman was just killed by a giant stingray that flew out of the water. That is true. And they have found megalodon teeth that aren't that old. And, you know, and that speech that Quint gives that, uh, you know... Didn't see the first shark for more than an hour. You know, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. You know they're going to make a movie about the Indianapolis, and Quint is going to be referenced in like the background over really? like over the air speakers. Yeah, yeah. This movie still terrifies me. I have seen Jaws, I think, more than almost any other film ever. It's it is one of my. It's probably in my top five of all time. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll let's get this queued up first before we announce it. Mm. Okay, these are top five John Williams scores of all time. Tim Riley, number one, Superman. See, I disagree with this. Really? I, I don't hear... Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, running for the door. <laughs> Bye, Tim. Here's why I don't disagree with it. To me, this encapsulates everything great about America and American cinema to the point where I almost wish this was our national anthem, our national music, because in a way, Superman is the American story. He's an alien. He's the... He's the... He's an immigrant. He's the ultimate immigrant that rises up to defend truth, justice, and the American way, and I get the chills every time I hear this when it... Truth, truth, justice, and all that stuff. Not to me, baby. I mean, it's not, I have no quibble with this song. I, I, I think me personally, I think me, I would put maybe Jaws at number one because it's so, because you can just come up behind anybody, and go da da da, and they and, know what it is. And all that part of it, me is I grew up reading comics, so it, yeah. it hits me at a very, you know, at a very personal level. It's so. certainly a great theme. There's no getting around that. And I that mean, first, that first drunk, it's coming. It's very telling that they brought this back for for Superman. Uh, that's how. That's the old, whatever. Well, they knew that was where all the emotional punches came in. Let's use the old font. I, I'm getting the chills because I know it's coming. <laughs> it is pretty great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got I mean, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, I take it back. Yeah. Yeah, F me. It's Superman. 
That's me, it's Superman. <laughs> I think Lex Luthor said that a few times before. Faster than an effing bullet. Uh, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Part of the broadcasting day, final segment of the Rick Emerson program. Like us next, Don and Mike. I'm sorry, uh, Michael Mira at seven. And uh, you know, I heard Mike. It's okay. I heard Mike do it the other day. Mike did the. You're on the Don and Mike show. Uh, Michael Mira show tonight. Uh, let's see, John and Jeff on the overnights tomorrow. Car and driver radio, followed by Dennis Pitts and Roger Miles around, starring me. Starring, are you on there now? Uh, I call Every under, week? I call under in Card Wars. Like tomorrow, it's the. Is Road there a Warriors show here in CBS Portland that you aren't on? Seriously, no. you are. A You're whore. on Court and Fat Boy tonight too. Yeah, perhaps someday I'll get paid for one of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, that's retarded. I also so have cute a, and wishful. No. I've got my own radio show. I'm on three other ones. Oh. Uh, Film Fever Radio. Yep, new episode is up right now. As is the commentary for Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers. We couldn't pull off the whole thing. Yeah, it's okay. Are you gonna so do every. One at some point? Yeah, every the next two months we're going to crank them out. Yeah, excellent. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, let's do a couple of these really quickly. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey. Hey. Really quick, how are you guys doing? What's up? Happy Friday. Thank you. The Raiders of the Lost Ark movie. Yes. Is that a kid movie or is that like an adult? Is going to be a really good movie. Do you mean the the adaptation? Yes. yes well, yes. I mean it was made by at the time kids, but it sounds like they took it. Okay, they got a submarine for Christ's sake. I think they took it pretty seriously. It's interesting enough, you know, for them to op- option a movie about it too. Yeah, so yeah. Be good. Mean, do you wonder about if are your kids going to enjoy it? Is that what you're asking? No, I don't have any kids, but I have a freak of a boyfriend that uh, enjoys very much all the Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, then he's going to love it. He's going to go completely <laughs> He'll love insane it. over this. You may be bored to tears. Your freak of a boyfriend will love it. <laughs> Yeah. Is your okay, freak I, of a boyfriend a listener? No, he's not. Well, how is that I, possible? What is that about? I know I'm a I'm a hardcore listener, but What is yeah. your name? Brenda. Brenda, what's your boyfriend's name? Dan. Dan, you got to get Dan to listen. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. Okay. All right. Uh, That's well, going to be my mission for this year. Excellent. Well, we hope to see you there, Brenda. Are you going to be are you guys going to be there? Uh, I already bought tickets for tomorrow. I think uh well at least some of us will be there tonight and some of us will be there tomorrow. Yeah. I'm tomorrow I I, I bought tickets at 7. All right. Thank you, Brenda. Seven. All right, get that boyfriend of yours to listen. All right, I will. All right, there you go. Uh, Freak of a boyfriend. One more? Yeah. Hi, last call of the week, don't suck. And they didn't. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, okay, bye. Uh, filmfeverradio.com, the new episode yes. up now. Filmfeverradio.com, the new episode is up. And on Geek in the City, I've got an exclusive interview with Chuck Dixon, who's the current writer of Robin Comics for Chub, DC. Chuck Dixon. Chuck okay. Dixon. Uh, oh. Not Chubb Dixon. <laughs> That's what? No, I thought you were talking. It's a Ron Jeremy character. <laughs> Seriously, I didn't know. I was like, what? Okay. Sorry, I was really excited when I got to interview him, so. Excellent. Uh, and uh, again, tonight, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and then also tomorrow at the Hollywood Theater. Go to filmaction.org to find out more. 
Uh, we want to thank Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com. Uh, of course, from the Raiders of the Lost Ark Adaptation, we want to thank Eric Zala and Chris Stompolis. Uh, and we want to thank Michael from uh, from Bridge City Comics yes. uh, for making that uh, work video possible. Video Verite. They're two sponsors of it, yeah. Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon for AM 970 Southern State Radio. In the newsroom, it's Tim Riley. On the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Bridget from upstairs, the webmistress, Brian Jones, director of engineering, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Michael Merritt, 7. Have a good weekend. I regret nothing. I'm huge. I just kept eating and eating. Bye. Andy!